0: Cast this week, we get real trippy with something in the dirt. Directors slash writers slash stars slash all round everything's really Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. And hold on to your vibranium, folks. We're going back to Wakanda with Okoye herself, Denai Guerrera, the star of Black Panther. Wakanda forever. Plus Tenoch Huerta Mejia, Namor himself, the Submariner. All that and usual news and nonsense on the Movie Podcast. I was relieved to find that Wakanda Forever was not the running time of the movie. Thankfully, it comes in at a spry 161 minutes. Ah, my buttocks, thank you. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast this week. We're recording this virtually. Why are we recording this virtually? I've forgotten. It's Train Strike. Train Strikes. Train Strikes. More power. Stick it to the man, etc., cetera, etc., etc. Cetera, yeah, et yeah uh, we are fully supportive, not least because it means that I'm not wearing pants. I am wearing pants. Uh, anyway, this week I'm joined by my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello. How are you?
1: I am very well, thank you. I am enjoying autumn.
0: Are you? Hmm. You splashing through puddles.
1: Oh, every it's kicking up leaves. You know, it's brilliant. Carrying an umbrella everywhere I go, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm.
0: It's good fun. It is good fun. Uh, of course you have hair to protect. A gentleman who does not have hair to protect is our great big fucking
2: nerve James Dyer. Hello James Dyer. Hello Christopher. Helen, I've got to be honest, autumn is an overrated season. It's one of these seasons where it looks lovely in paintings and the idea of like rustling leaves and whatnot, but actually it's just endless torrential hmm. downpouring miserable yeah. <laughs> rain.
1: I wonder, James, is there a season that you like, and will you like it when we get back to that season? <laughs> Name me a
2: season, James.
1: I'm going to challenge you on this. Come March I quite or like June. winter.
2: You know that. Really? I quite I quite like winter. Season? So, so winter I always... is coming, James. Winter, winter is, is coming. coming. That's right. <laughs> it's my inner Stark. But I, I you know, I, I feel, I feel for people who live in LA because it's like, look out the window. Well, it's warm and sunny. Oh, yeah. What is it? July, August, December? Who the fuck knows? Whereas <laughs> I like the passage of seasons.
0: There was a little bit of an internal conflict here, uh, folks. Pulling back the curtain about our squad cast names this week.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, because
0: two two of our number uh, both chose a line from Black Panther with "Canda forever." I'm not going to give too much away. No spoilers here. But at one point, <laughs> someone is referred to as a bald headed demon, uh, and the the claim was staked by our next colleague of such lethal cunning, who got in first ahead of James Dyer. Despite it has to be said. Incorrect oh, punctuation. Stop. It is, of course, Amon Woman. <laughs> how are you, sir?
4: I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, Chris, James, I'm not sure how you're feeling about this, but we got passed over again for People's Sexiest Man Alive. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still not quite over yeah. it. Um, yeah.
0: It
4: hurts. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I demand a recount. It's, it's yeah. just ridiculous Year after year. That's
0: the problem. Yeah. To lose <laughs> to another Chris as well, especially someone whose charms aren't so apparent when yeah. you look mm. at him, he's just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah so it's galling. It's a, it's a real Evans, slap in the went face. Chris Evans, for in the
1: end, wasn't it? Chris Evans.
0: Chris Evans. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. what's yeah. he ever done? And not even the good one from Don't forget your toothbrush. That's right.
1: Wow. There is a there is an indefensible <laughs> statement. Um, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, I, my vote went as ever to bearded cap with um, uh, Dean Winchester in the number two spot. But for some reason, they they give it to Chris Evans. What can I say, guys?
0: Yeah. Ridiculous. It's a real shame. I'm working on an AB for next year. If I can, uh, if I can just. Cultivate an AB. I think I might be in with a shot.
1: I feel like the winners generally have at least fifteen. So you know, <laughs> good luck with that. Mm,
0: it's true. It is true. Uh, who was it the other day on Twitter? Do you remember Twitter? <laughs> <That was fun. laughs> Vaguely, Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Before the dark times. Back in the, the days Empire. when you didn't have to pay to see people's tweets. Oh, uh, someone was tweeting like someone from the uh, yeah, it was Kevin Costner in No Way Out. Someone was tweeting a picture of Kevin Costner in No Way Out during you know one of his. Uh, you know, his scenes where he was walking around with his shirt off and he just looks like a bloke. He just looks like a normal bloke that you would see down <laughs> the beach of a weekend. Doesn't minimal working out at best. And it's like now, how have we got to this point where everybody has at least two, maybe even three abs? I don't understand how this has happened.
1: Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Gosh. Imagine being judged on your body the way that these male actors are. It must be just it's dreadful. It's awful, Helen.
0: One <laughs> no. day you will understand the pain.
1: Oh, I, I don't know if I could ever understand that pain. Yeah. Terrible.
0: <laughs> anyway, there we go. We've all been introduced. None of us are the sexiest man alive. Yeah, <laughs> But this is a cross we will have to bear. Uh, shall we move on with the? <laughs> what I'm laughing the, <laughs> I'm contractually obliged to call a show... But shall we move on with it? Shall we move on with the sure, uh, the let's. show uh, and have a question? So I had a number of questions sent in today, some of which we may cover in uh, weeks to come. There's part of me thinks it's a little early for Christmas movie related questions. It There's is. There's another part of me that thinks today is the day that the John Lewis advert was unveiled to the public. So this <laughs> is the day that Christmas really has begun for me. And uh, so we have a question which I am going to. Appropriate and tweak, right? But it's a question nonetheless. It comes from Matt underscore Ladden with a Christmas story releasing a belated sequel. Mm. What are your guilty pleasure childhood films and which deserve a follow up? Now, ignore the first part of the question.
1: Oh, come on.
0: No, right. I like a Christmas story. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me explain. Focus on the follow up because this made me think, oh, that's interesting. So, which Christmas movies do you think deserve a
2: sequel so not guilty pleasures not childhood movies not, just is, Christmas not, not movies not either guilty sequel.
0: pleasure childhood films because I think we, we could be here all day with this but you know but the, the, fact, the fact that Christmas Story is getting a sequel uh, with Peter Billingsley what a hundred years after the first movie came out <laughs> something like that uh, that's interesting to me so there must be christmas movies that we absolutely love and adore that maybe did get sequelized at a certain point but maybe haven't been sequelized for a while or never got sequelized at all so going to throw it at you guys you were not prepared for this question I can see you're
2: not prepared for much, quite frankly. But uh, <laughs> anything this springs to mind, I would obviously take a second love. Actually, you know, obviously, love, lo- <laughs> oh what love, love. Actually, love. Actuallys. Done? I'm not what sure, have I done? but Why? yeah, I, I want to see more. I want to see. I want to see what happened to all of those characters. Obviously, Alan. <laughs> tragically, we will never find out what happened to Alan Ripman's character. But uh, yeah, yeah, bring them all back. Let's see what happens. You know uh Thomas Brady Sangster's like 58 now so you know he's presumably <laughs> a professional drummer and a drug addict and all kinds of stuff like there, there's a story to be told there presumably Is there you no? know
1: I mean, he <laughs> was in the first place Colin
2: Firth has probably improved his was it portuguese i can't even portuguese. remember yeah, yeah. so <laughs> portuguese. you know i want Me to a yeah he's completed duolingo <laughs> by this point
0: he has he has maybe he created
2: duolingo maybe he
0: did. <gasps> that's that's what Colin Firth's character did. He created Duolingo because he couldn't connect with the lady. And then he did connect with the lady, if you know what I mean. And then <laughs> and then he went, I need to come up with a great uh, app for people to speak. And then he did that. I, yeah. I need to come up with that's a line from the film. I yeah. need to come up with a great app for people to speak. So wow. that's, and he went, Duolingo. And he's come up with Duolingo. Wow.
1: That's incredible. Um, I always thought the, the owls from the Guardians of Ga'Hoole developed it, but my eyes have been opened. <laughs> a chouette,
0: if you will, Helen. A chouette.
1: I mean, look, the, the the obvious one that like is vaguely humanly feasible, and indeed that Asda has tried to do this year is Elf. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Because yes. Elf, there there is a world there, there is a scenario that you could explore. It's been nineteen years since Elf, so you would technically have a what eighteen year old potentially baby Elf. That you could now follow the adventures of. <laughs> Everybody's still around uh, in terms of, you know, Will Ferrell, Zoe Deschanel.
0: James Cairns now, sadly. But James Cairns. No. And actually
1: Ed Asner's not. Um, everyone isn't still around. This is a disaster. Oh my God, Santa idea. is dead? No, no, Santa is fine, <laughs> Chris. Santa is fine.
0: You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> yeah. Smell like beef but, and cheese. Uh,
1: but yeah, that, that would be my instant uh, pitch, to be honest. Okay,
0: we start. we start with Santa's funeral. Wow
3: No, hard elves.
2: This time it's war (laughs) Elves, you know, like that
0: classic classic movie style funeral You know, it's raining It's raining, but this time it's raining gumdrops Uh, But everyone's really sad And then you pull back, you pull back further And there, standing Mm -hmm. Behind the tree In a black suit, but with a candy Mm -hmm. cane Watching on sadly, is Will Ferrell As Buddy the Elf
1: Yeah Okay, so we're not doing this. Uh, okay. I've pulled a whole idea. Um, and also, you may have ruined Elf for me forever. You monster! I think I've ruined everything for anyone. I think you uh, might be have. Done. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm like Elon Musk, for, but for podcasts. Um hey. I'm on. I'm on. Uh, is there a Christmas movie? I f- again, I feel like Hans Gruber. Sooner or later, we'll get to something you do care about. Is there? Is there a Christmas movie that springs to mind that you're itching to see a sequel to, or you're itching to catch up with those characters?
4: I would like to see a sequel to Trading Places.
0: Yes. I think that could be really fun. Sold. Yeah. Here's the thing, right? Eddie Murphy's sequelizing everything. He really is. (laughs) He's never sequelized Trading Places. Now, I know that he and John Landis may not see eye to eye, but you don't need John Landis for this, right? You need Eddie Murphy. You need Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. You need Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And again, a, a whole bunch of people involved with that movie have. Subsequently passed. Mm. But those are the big three. You do that. Boom. Bish, bash, bash. Michael Myers. Bish, bash, <laughs> bosh.
1: Michael Myers, just to be clear. The killer. Sorry, I'm,
0: I'm getting confused. I just think any Jamie Lee Curtis legacy sequel should have Michael Myers it's, in it somewhere. It's
1: the Halloween before Christmas. Is that what you <laughs> mean? Yes. It's, it's,
0: it's, it's Halloween, but at Christmas.
1: Wow. <laughs> yes.
4: I, I all of a sudden, that. I don't want to see this movie. This, this, no. This, the, the Halloween, i like, this is, why can't we just have this not be a non-scary thing?
0: Imagine the trailer I'm on. This year, October 31st, <laughs> is on December 25th. Oh, boy. Love it. Love it. <laughs> anyway, imagine Michael Myers coming down your chimney. Just no, Amon. What is, what is this sequel? What is what is happening in Trading Places? Uh, what's it called? Is it called Trading Even More Places? Is it called Trading Places Back Again?
1: Yeah, Hedge Funding <laughs> Places.
0: <laughs> Ooh, perhaps Billy Ray and Lewis could I don't know buy a social media platform with their the money they made from yeah. uh, that uh, the stock market the killing, and then run it into the ground. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's what it is.
4: Magic has just happened on this pod like, again. <laughs> sensational.
1: Magic in the air. <laughs> oh my God,
0: a Muppet Christmas Carol. I c- almost none of that cast are dead. Give me two weeks
1: literally you can't look children listen to this show you cannot kill santa and the muppets in the opening 15 minutes
4: james and chris i think you should change your squad cast names to the grinch because that that, that's what's what this is become right
0: i am the grinch reaper that's what i am (laughs) it's not just the grinch who stole christmas it's a grinch who killed christmas by god are, are people are you writing this shit down because this is our ticket out of this dump we can
2: get out of here. Bear with me. It's a wonderful death. George <laughs> Bailey, long since passed and gone to hell, no. has to climb his way back out with the help of Santa.
1: Yes! Okay, no, I'm sorry. What? You don't even (laughs) like that film for a start, so you don't even get to to, to suggest a sequel. The whole point of the film is he's not going to hell, you absolute monster. Yeah, but he he
2: became a crack crack addict shortly afterwards and it all just went shit. He didn't because the crack epidemic
1: hadn't started in the 1940s. he invented it,
2: Alan. That's that's how he made his money. (laughs) Colin Firth invented Duolingo and George Bailey invented crack. (laughs) That's true. It's actually
0: true. Every time a bell rings, (laughs) a demon gets his horns. Yeah. That's it. I'm loving I'm loving every single one of your ideas. I'm even on board with the love actually too
2: because we yeah. can kill them all. Well, cuz we've seen the comet relief, you know, they laid the groundwork for it. I think we build on that and turn it into a feature.
1: I mean, I feel like you're you're still thinking way inside the box here, but so so no, I actually don't think. I think we've we've done the Die Hard sequel and much as I adore it, that's okay. We're done. Let's think further afield, shall we? Let's think about um I don't know. Gina Davis is still around. Samuel L Jackson is still around. Why aren't you? You haven't mentioned like a single Shane Black, Chris. I, I genuinely that don't is know true. what's wrong with you
2: right that now. That is true, Super yeah. later,
0: I'll get to something I do care about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, Helen, I'm, I'm absolutely up for the long kisses, good night, uh, or the long kiss uh, into tomorrow, or, <laughs> um, you know, or we could go for kiss, 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 bang, bang, bang.
1: Yeah, the long kiss kiss bang bang it good. Yeah. amazing. Crossover, crossover. Crossover. So many ladies in Santa outfits. I mean, Always it's it's all going to come together.
2: Oh, oh, oh. We, we we take a dark turn. We take a dark turn with one of these. Like, let's we say we haven't elf.
0: already. No, are <laughs> <we're> like <laughs> Have you been at all? Probably not. Everybody has died
2: in these movies. Buddy takes over from Santa. He's delivering the presents. He's inherited the grotto and the whole family business. He's running it in a, running it slightly into the ground. We cut to Christmas morning. A little boy comes down under the tree. He's very excited. There's one gift there. It's beautifully wrapped with a big red bow. He opens it up. It's the puzzle box from, Ra- from Hellraiser in the <laughs> oh, lament no. configuration. No. And it all goes to shit from there. You get festive Cenobites. You get people being unwrapped like Christmas presents. You know, it'd be great.
0: We have such sights to show you.
2: I'll tear your cracker apart. <laughs> I,
4: I really. This is not a film that I want to be thinking about any longer than I have to, and you're bringing it up now already. In- that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. I'm on.
0: Merry Christmas. Amon, uh, am uh-huh. on. Let's bring some festive cheer to this before we wrap this bad boy up in some lovely, lovely <laughs> Christmas paper and put a little bow on top of it. and Maybe sprinkle some tinsel and glitter on there as well, just for just for good measure. Name something that we can't possibly twist into a death-filled <laughs> horror escape. <laughs>
4: Knowing you, that's nothing. But um, <laughs> I would not mind seeing the sequel to Rise of the Guardians, which was an animated film from a few years back. Not break. a
1: Christmas movie. This is The Hill I Will Die On. It's not a Christmas oh, movie. It's an <laughs> Easter movie. It takes place at Easter.
2: <sighs> Isn't the Easter Just because Bunny in it. in it?
1: Santa's in it. Santa's in it. it, but it's the Easter celebration that is under threats. It is not a Christmas movie.
0: All right, but can't we then make the sequel set at Christmas?
1: Yes, we absolutely could. However, I'm just saying the question was sequels to (laughs) Christmas Christmas movies, not sequels we can make into Christmas movies.
0: She's got Uh, me there. In fairness, yeah. I did play fairly fast, loose with the question. No, 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 I'm on. Let's hear hear your pitch. Let's hear your pitch. We start on a funeral. Am I right?
4: The other one, which I had, um, because it's the first film of the greatest actor of all time that I watched, Denzel Washington, The Preacher's Wife. Give me a scene (laughs) for The Preacher's Wife. That would be very fun. Um, I love that film.
1: That was a remake, obviously, of The Bishop's Wife. So what do you call... We've gone from... Bishop to preacher. What's the next? What's mm. the next step? In the is it canon? Uh, the pope, so the, pope's the pope's wife.
0: The pope's it's wife. The, it's the only way to go. I,
1: I, I realize that you're. We find Protestant, the pope Chris, a wife. But I, I have a few notes. He's been as a bachelor a for too long,
0: Helen. He's been a bachelor for too long, and perhaps Oof. this is what unites the world. Protestant. Mm. I can see Protestants and Catholics coming together to find the pope a wife on Christmas Day, and that mm. wife. Is Santa Claus? I would drop my okay. mic, but it's very expensive, ah. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to. I think we're hmm. done. If you want to have your question read out on the Emperor Podcast, I'm I'm running out of social media platforms. Uh, we're still, we're still. Twitter is the only game in town until it isn't, uh, and then we'll figure it out. I'm. I mean, let me just say this for the avoidance of any doubt: I am never leaving Twitter because. I was there first, and I'm not the terrible one, so why should I leave? And I realise that's subjective. And there would be many people who think, oh, Chris, you are the terrible one. But uh, yeah, I'm going to stick around. But I realise that other people are uh, mounting some sort of exodus to Mastodon. Hmm. So we, we may do something on Mastodon, or there may be a Facebook diddle, or, or something like that. Anyway, we'll figure it out. But right now, at Chris Hewitt is my Twitter handle. Reply to any of my tweets. Once you've stopped laughing, of course, assuming you could see them, Pay, pay $7.99 a month for the privilege of seeing my <laughs> tweets or slide into my DMs if such a thing is still allowed, uh, or wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. But there you go. I don't know. Does this mean that there's going to be a Christmas movie question every week in the run up to Christmas? Who knows? We shall see. Ho, ho, ho. Right. Should we move into movie news? Should what I- has been happening in the world of movie news?
1: We were just talking about Christmas movies, so shall we start with Christmas movie news? Which is that there was a first look this week at um, I think former sexiest man alive Dwayne Johnson and current sexiest man alive Chris Evans. <laughs> if you talk their, to Dwayne Johnson, uh, about it, he will
4: say that he's sexiest man alive in perpetuity. So <laughs> was he
1: ever actually sexiest man alive? Dwayne yeah,
0: Johnson
4: 2016. It was. Yeah, Twenty sixteen. How do you know this? Only because <laughs> um, that was so quick. I th- no, I think. Uh, they did a bit on Colbert with Dwayne Johnson officially anointing Chris Evans as the sexiest man alive and that is how this, like, it, it, it came up now oh, I see that happened okay.
1: on set of their film which I was about to yes, mention <laughs> which is Red One which is their Christmas action movie which is like next year so the cast is growing it's now got J.K. Simmons as Santa Claus
2: Not my fucking present <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah I, I, I don't know is he is he dragging the presents do you think he on the um, but yeah um, also includes Lucy Lou, Kieran Shipka and uh, Nick Kroll uh, but yeah so first qu- uh, picture from the film which The Rock romantically describes as a four quadrant franchise um, <laughs> nothing,
0: but- <laughs> nothing gets me more nothing gets me more excited both uh, uh, in, in the head in the heart, and, if I'm honest, in the downstairs area than a movie being described as a four-quadrant <laughs> franchise. Describing a movie as a franchise before you've started shooting the first one, yeah. I mean, that's that's confidence. Uh, yeah, but, you know... In
1: fairness to him, Jumanji is a franchise. This is directed by Jumanji's um, director, Jake Kazdan, so mm-hmm. fingers crossed it will be as delightful as that. Ooh, that was a Christmas movie.
0: It was a Christmas... Both are Christmas hey. movies. Both oh, Jumanji... Both the new Jumanji movies are Christmas True. movies. And, you know, I, I'm... I'm Cautiously optimistic about Red One. We still uh, yeah, don't really hopeful. know what it's about. I thought it was going to be The Rock as Santa Claus fighting off a terrorist attack, but it doesn't seem to be that. Uh, or if it is, it's something else. He maybe he's a some sort of North Pole Navy Seal who tries tries to thwart an attack from somebody where Chris Evans fits in. I don't know. But is
1: is there going to be a joke about his size? Like he's going to be an elf, but he's one of the big elves. You know, is that going to be a running thing? I bet you. Quite possibly. Quite yeah. possibly.
0: But you know i i this movie's gonna have to go a long way to win me over because it's not the third Jumanji film, and mm-hmm. frankly, it's been too long since the next level and i wanna i wanna I want a third one I wanna round off their trilogy, and I know that there's another Jumanji movie, so it's technically the fourth one, but still
1: maybe it's a maybe it's a stealth sequel <gasps>
0: No, that would be a terrible idea. Josh Lucas, Jessica Biel, Jamie Foxx. I don't think eighth, <laughs> any of them want to do a sequel to Stealth, oh, although gosh. we could set it at Christmas. We start on a funeral. <laughs> Anything else?
4: Spider-Verse just got cooler, because Daniel Kaluuya has joined the voice cast as Spider-Punk, uh,
2: which is very, very exciting. Who's Spider-Punk? Spider-Punk... What is he? Is, is he a pig? Is he a dog? Is he a hedgehog? <laughs> what is no, no. he? He's an
4: actual sort of person, a human, but a superhuman who's been given spider powers who
2: rocks a guitar um, as part of his look. So he's like the Doof Warrior from Fury Road. <laughs> but he sticks to walls.
1: He's a homeless teenager when he gets the powers um, to pr- to protect his own universe. So he's... Um, it's it's the oppressed citizens of New York, apparently, in his in his own dimension. Right. And then again, we're having cross-dimensional, timey-wimey, multiversal, obviously, Spider stuff. So yes. he will be joining not just uh, Shemik Morris, Miles Morales, and Haley Seinfeld's Gwen, Spider Gwen, um, but also uh, Miguel O'Hara, woo, woo, um, Oscar mm. Isaac, and then Jessica Drew is coming in from Issa Ray as well.
4: And there will be other names that will, I think, be revealed in the uh, coming months as we accelerate towards release. I'm just bummed that we haven't seen this yet. that like the original release date was October seventh, so
0: they hadn't finished it. It was still, it was just a stick figures. <laughs> <That's basically laughs> what it was. They but need time yeah, to finish this these things. This is
4: hits. this is my most anticipated movie of next year. Now it was my most anticipated movie of this year at the start of this year. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm pumped to see it.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I, d- I didn't know Jessica Drew was in it as well, so she is yeah. uh, Spider-Woman. So that's that's very, very exciting. This is, well, this is an exciting film. It's an exciting film. It's good to be excited about a film, isn't it? Um, it is, it its I And I like that. And uh, yeah, I wonder if they're going to get uh, the iteration of Spidey that I'm seeing most at the moment, but I'm bumping up also uh, against most, which is the... Kitty version of spidey that's the lead in spidey and his amazing friends which is oh, on yeah. disney plus and so if you don't know what that is it's a very yeah aimed at very young kids so little drinky game is watching it now and again although she is scared of the baddies um so <laughs> so's my nephew you know, yeah. yeah so it's <laughs> it's like spidey as a eight-year-old maybe mm-hmm. peter parker's yeah, eight-year-old it's peter gwen Parker,
1: stacy and, and gwen together isn't it
0: Yes, it's those guys as eight-year-olds, and then they battle Green Goblin, Doc Ock, and Rhino on rotation, uh, and they're also eight-year-olds. And there's Hulk in there, and Miss Marvel, and Black Panther also. And it, it, you know, it's, it's a very cute show, but I'm not sure it's the one I would have picked to introduce Little Tricky Game to, the concept of spider man um, mm. But yeah, you know, it is what it is
1: my big question with that show uh, because spoiler i've seen a few episodes so they're often in the park at the beginning of the show and they meet up in the park and then when they have to swing off and do spider things they sort of you know shoot shoot their spider webs in the air and go swinging and i'm like what on what, what are you on what <laughs> what are you yeah. swinging from there is no branch there it makes the the physics is is not
4: they
0: haven't thought through the swinging
1: no
4: I mean, I thought the same thing about the Toby Maguire Spider-Man oh, movies. Oh, yeah, 100%. I love, it's so. <laughs> absolutely true. Yeah, very
1: much. Yeah.
4: That, yeah. That, that is one thing that the MCU Spidey does get right. You actually sort of see that his web has to stick in in the homecoming. They have that thing, that gag where he tries to web and he's not close enough to the building, so he has to run.
0: All right. Well, okay. Let's see what happens with that. Uh, Jimbo, do you have any
2: any movie news knocking around? Uh, well, there's a little bit of news in that Sean Levy, the director of, among other things, Real Steel, is directing a Star War. And pretty much, I think, all we know at this point. He adds his name to the long list of people who are apparently directing a Star War. Uh, obviously, he's got some exciting stuff coming up. He did some good Stranger Things work recently. He's got Deadpool 3 coming up, but he's apparently going to do a film. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to the point where Andor has rekindled my excitement about Star Wars generally. But I'm also a little bit Andor or GTFO. I'm a bit like I want you to go to that well. I want you to do adult Star Wars or just don't.
1: I feel like the chances of Sean Levy being the one to do adult Star Wars are fairly low. He's very much a family-friendly director, mm-hmm. so you know. We'll
2: see about Deadpool three. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: true.
4: Yeah, I'm intrigued by this, but I'm also like, I'll believe it when I see it. Because yeah. Taika Waititi was meant yeah, to do a Star Wars, and now was meant to do a Star mm-hmm. Wars, and now she's not. And I'll just
2: like Brian okay, Johnson, Wilson, you know.
1: Well, I think, I mean, the, Ryan Johnson said recently he's he's kind of left the door a little bit ajar. Yeah, he'd like think, to. He hasn't recently. given up on
2: the, the dream yeah. of returning. JD
1: Dillard's is, is no longer happening. We heard I think, yeah, last week. Um, Paddy Jenkins does seem to be not happening yeah, at all. That's um, shame. I don't know about Tikers though. I feel like that still might be a thing in the ether.
0: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. so but well, it looks like the next one's going to be the Dame Lindelof led one. Mm-hmm. I said this before, don't want to keep repeating ourselves, but by the time a, a Star Wars drops onto the big screen, it's scheduled for 2025. That's six years. I think that's a bit too long, to be honest. But, you know, maybe it's a good thing that they're taking their time to get these things right.
1: I Yeah, I think it is. I, and I think this, the TV shows are, are kind of showing them what works and what doesn't to an extent. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the point of them. I don't think they're designed no. to be a testing ground. But equally, if, they'd be foolish if they weren't paying attention to to that. Um, mm. And I just hope that everybody starts watching Andor because it's bloody magnificent. It is and, amazing. Um,
2: it is absolutely uh, brilliant. You know,
0: I need to get back into Andor. Uh, I I stopped after episode three because I've just got so much going on, and you guys were watching it, and it just didn't feel like appointment TV to me. It wasn't one of those things where I I got up on Wednesday morning and went, Oh, Mm. the next drop episode of Andor's here. Let me watch something moving in the the boat, I
2: think, when it started. I felt exactly the same way, but but the scales fell from my eyes as it went along, and (laughs) it is one of, if not the best, shows of the year. So me and Helen were true
4: believers from the beginning
1: yeah pretty much but yeah it's it's only gotten better and better to be perfectly honest so yeah,
0: but definitely. it's tricky guys because I'm now seven episodes
2: behind so yes, that's, nice. that's I seven that hours afternoon for the other podcast you'll be fine <laughs> is that is that instead of watching movies for this one <laughs> pretty much yes <laughs> hey I've seen three films this week leave me alone wow okay <laughs>
0: bringing your bringing your total for the I year have. to ten <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Yeah, I want to get back into Andorra. I really do. I really, really, really do. But MasterChef The Professionals is back, so I'm I'm afraid that's got to take priority. Well, that's (laughs) that's entirely understandable. I'm already behind on that.
2: Oh, God, how will you (laughs) follow the plot?
0: Anyway, what else has happened in the world of movie slash TV news?
1: Well, there's fun news in that Keanu Reeves is going to appear in mm. Ballerina. That's the John Wick spin-off. So um, Ana de Armas obviously starring in that. It's been filming now for a couple of months, I think. She was about to start when I spoke to her for Blonde. And and also Ian McShane will be making an appearance as Winston. As
2: Lovejoy. <laughs> yes. yes, it's un- Unconventional cameo. Yeah. <laughs> <amazing>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in, he sells him an antique Toby jug and then fucks off again.
0: I would love it if that was the, uh, like, instead of across the Spider-Verse, this was across the McShane-Verse, and it was just all Ian McShane's (laughs) most iconic characters coming together. (laughs) Al (laughs) Swearingen just rocks (laughs) into (laughs) the
2: room, calls him a cocksucker Mm. and
0: leaves.
1: He's in My Father's Dragon this week and all.
0: There you go. Is he? That's disgusting.
1: Not in a bad way. He should get way. out of He's your a father's dragon immediately. <laughs> He's oh, I see. It's part of the cast of the I film see. that is titled "My Father's Dragon." You monster!
0: Oh, it wow. was like one of those weird Channel Five documentaries where people fuck cars. I thought it was like that only with dragons. Anyway, or Titan the series. What is this? <laughs> That's the Grand Tour's <laughs> unexpected
2: late season uh. left turn. Anyway, before we let this joke drag on,
1: <laughs> we have strayed from the holy light of news. We have. We we have. Are, are
2: any of you excited about the Oscar host news? No,
1: no, no. Honestly, because like I, I, think Jimmy Kimmel is okay. I think he's fine. Um, but the news that he's hosting the 95th Oscars in March, which is I think what you're referring to,
2: uh, it is. Yes, I,
1: I, uh, I mean, I would be excited if it was some someone you know offbeat, unlikely. Untried. Like Ian McShane. <laughs> uh, how would Ian that McShane, work, as Al
2: Swearengen, host the 95th Academy Awards. Welcome to the cocksucking Oscars. Everyone would watch that.
1: <laughs> the Oscars should have Ian McShane as the voice of God, you know, telling everyone to take their seats and all that kind of stuff. Like that, I would 100% sign off on. But I, I, just, I don't know. I'd I just like to see them be a bit more daring than I think this is. So. I mean,
4: there's best I can hope for Jimmy Kimmel is that he doesn't distract from the main event which is the oscars themselves in a couple of recent award ceremonies that he's either hosted or given an award to i forget he has been a distraction there's one particular example i'm thinking of when someone was picking up an award as a very sort of big moment for them and he made sure that he was in the shot and that was not cool that so that was quinto wasn't it from that was quinto yes yes um which is something that uh people definitely bought up when this news came to light
2: so kind of feel as long as he doesn't lamp someone on stage it should be relatively fine.
0: I think they hmm. should I think they should have more lamping on stage. <laughs> it's, the only lamp. re, it's the only way I would watch it, quite frankly. I haven't watched the Oscar for, for a few years now and if if you had
2: told me there was going to be violence Yeah like a I Battle Royale it. Oscars crossover. All the nominees go in, one come out. Yes, precisely. Throw in a little Al Sworn
0: throw in a little sex you know, a little bit of blue for the dads, and a bit of a bit of lamping, and we're good.
2: Okay, good. Well, it's it's almost implausible to me why they haven't asked us to organise the
0: event, but you know, maybe that'll change after they hear this. Listen, we can't do a worse job than Soderbergh did. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, Violet Davis
4: is going to be the president. That's cool. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: it would be gonna, cool if it were true.
0: It really would.
4: Uh, in a film called G Twenty, we should clarify. Yeah, it's basically a mixture of. Air Force One, Olympus has fallen. It sounds like because she's at the G20 summit, uh, it's overtaken by terrorists, and then she has to rely on her military experience to get everyone out of the jam. Uh, so yeah, here for that. Viol- I'm honestly I'm here to watch Viola Davis and anything. She's incredible. Obviously, we've just seen her in the Woman King. She mm-hmm. radiates natural. She radiates authority just naturally. So she's great casting for a role like this, mm-hmm. and I think she's gonna kill it. And it's directed by Patricia Riggin.
0: That is very, very exciting. Yes, uh, Faela Davis in her 50s, discovering that uh, that women can join the Cherry Action Club is fantastic. Mm-hmm. More power to both her elbows as she performs some sort of diving elbow attack on the lead terrorist. I hope she screams, I don't negotiate with terrorists, motherfucker, and then elbows him to death. That'd be, I would be there for that. And in fact, if you can open the Oscars with that as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, okay, that would that would get people watching again.
0: <laughs> <For> day <laughs> <really it> was <laughs> double elbowing Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, dear Lord. Anyway, anything
1: else? <laughs> yeah, we should just quickly mention that Winston Duke uh, has joined the cast of The Fall Guy, uh, which is, of course, already yes. shooting. We've got Ryan Gosling, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Emily Blunt already in David Leitch's film. Uh, Drew Pierce did the s- script duties. Um, I don't believe we know who he's playing yet. Oh, no, he will be Gosling's friend. The ball of a lifetime.
4: <laughs> I, I, hope s- I would like to be Ryan Gosling's friend
1: Yeah,
0: we all would, wouldn't we? Sure
1: <laughs> He looks like a fun guy No, I'm saying A full guy A full fun, full fun, full guy
0: He but- went to Disneyland with Guillermo I mean, he would probably take us to Disneyland And I imagine Ryan Gosling doesn't have the queue
1: Wow, what a Just life Just
0: uh, going <laughs> But Winston Duke, obviously he's going to be seen this week as M'Baku in Black Panther Wakanda forever but uh he you know he had a very lovely easy chemistry um can't believe i'm bringing this film up but with mark Wahlberg in spencer confidential do you remember that <laughs> film
4: i was gonna watch it and then i heard so many awful things about it and i'm like you know i'm not gonna i, I really like winston duke i don't want to watch a film in which winston duke and not to say winston duke is bad but i don't want to watch a bad film in which winston duke is present so i elected to not watch it um, it seems that you That's good. Not.
0: You made up your own mind and I and I like that about you. Uh no it's it's good. You, you should <laughs> it was it's, it was, it's I mean, fine. Yeah. It, was, it was it was an was okay fine. movie. When, yeah, okay. When, when one day we've run out of um categories to do in the ranking and we turn to Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg films, um and that day is a long way away. Let me tell you, uh it's it's gonna be mid table. It's a mid table <laughs> Peter Berg Mark Wahlberg film.
1: I mean that's that's it, it, we are correctly damning it with faint <laughs> praise there, but yes, that's correct. Yes, yeah. I know
0: they've made oh. 73 movies together, but it's, you know, so it's not as good as Deep Water Horizon, but it's better than that one about the miles.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: No 21? one can remember the name of that film. 21 uh, miles? I think it was 21? 21 miles, yeah. It's Mile 22.
1: How mile was 22. Can you
0: name me? I've already mentioned Spencer Confidential. I've already mentioned Deep Water Horizon and... Uh, obviously now Mal Twenty Two. They have made two other movies together Oh, lone oh, director, oh, oh God, I was going to
2: say that.
0: What's the yeah. other one? Uh, I, I don't.
1: I've mentioned one already. <laughs> I'll uh, leave it to them.
0: This is the modern day Ford and Wayne. This is the modern day <laughs> Hawks and Grant. This what?
1: Sorry, I Come just, on, I just said something in my throat. It's. it's this um, is the
2: modern day Carpenter and Russell. Okay, so 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 it was Spencer Confidential. It was Mile 22. We've done Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Was he in Deepwater Horizon? Yeah, yeah I mentioned yeah. Deepwater Horizon yes, several times. That.
0: Yeah. It was on this podcast, James. You were, you were there. You were sitting right there.
2: Patriot's Day? Is it Patriot's Something Day? Something
0: very unusual has happened on the Empire podcast. <laughs> James Dyer has got a movie question right.
2: <laughs>
1: victory is mine! I mean, victory was mine first, just so we're clear. But okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is there anything else in terms of movie news, or should we just talk about Peter Berg and I think Mark that's Wahlberg? It. Let's go on to movie, the great filmmaking duo over time. The last thing I wanted to talk about, I can't believe we all forgot to mention it, is that the news broke this week that Lucasfilm and Disney are exploring the option of doing a, an Indiana Jones TV show, which would ah, be yes. on Disney Plus. Now, obviously, very early days yet. Mm-hmm. Indiana Jones Five, the still untitled Indiana Jones Five, mm. is still due to come out in the summer next year.
1: I still don't understand their counting system.
0: <laughs> Sorry, the fifth, the fourth, the fifth of the in the quadrilogy is coming out next summer. Probably going to be Harrison Ford's last go around. So, what can Indiana Jones show be?
4: I think it will be interesting to see what the either fourth or first Indiana Jones film does by way of passing down the mantle of Indiana Jones to another actor, or another character, or what have you. And I feel like that will maybe play a part in what this Disney Plus show is.
1: I I mean it could be. It, it absolutely could be. They tried it before with um Mut. Mutt. Um but I I've I feel like this might be a young indie kind of a setting. That would make mm. more sense to me to yeah. be honest. Because then you get to to keep the period setting. If you if it's older indie, you're into the 1970s and that doesn't fit with the the energy of those films. The more difficult thing is going to be negotiating you know, the fact that we don't really approve of archaeologists stealing stuff in the way that he does, Also true. right, left and centre. Um, so I, I wonder how they'll negotiate that going forward for Indy. Ah,
0: fair game. Help yourself, Indy. If someone dropped it, you pick it up. Possession sign tends to the law.
2: That, That's what that I say. That is they, legally they, Okay. So, but, uh, okay just,
1: just, I mean, not to put my lawyer hat on here or anything, Chris, mm. but like it's if my somebody now, carefully I found it, I it up, places it's mine. something in their sacred temple mm-hmm. and then locks the doors of their temple, they haven't just, quote unquote, dropped it. They have very carefully made it clear that they don't want you to take it.
0: Yeah. Mm. No, I hear what you're saying. Mm. Equally, it belongs in the museum. So, mm. I mean, who's no. to say who's mm. right? Really? I, I mean, mean,
1: quite a lot of international law, for one. <laughs> I'm just, you know...
0: It's, it's something we're going to have to hash out and maybe that's what it is maybe it's a courtroom, it's a courtroom drama where he's being sued <laughs> I would so
1: I would so watch that you don't even know how much I'd watch that oh I God. would absolutely
0: totally watch that and then the, the judge he looks over the judge at one point and she bats her eyelids at him and simply says I love you and he, he's like I think I'm getting off in more ways than one oh, I would hey. watch that I would absolutely watch that Jimbo as a TV man who watches TV and nothing but TV exclusively TV you must be excited about this Indiana Jones by the way is a character played by Harrison Ford <laughs>
1: <laughs> in in, in what, what we call, call a movies. movies, and those, are, those <laughs> are the long TV
2: episodes <laughs> that appear on the bigger TVs that you have to pay and go see communally, right? I understand. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't care. I don't know what to tell you. Like I don't care. Like I, d- but genuinely, like I don't care. Like I, it, Young Indiana Jones was fine. It wasn't great. And this won't have Harrison Ford in it, so it's not Indiana Jones. And you know, yes, they could do a kind of young, but not they could do a younger, but not young Indiana Jones on TV. But it wouldn't be Harrison Ford, and it wouldn't feel the same. Young to me.
1: Henry Jones Senior. It could be
2: that. Young Henry Jones. <laughs> oh, see, now, okay, Helen. <laughs> now, now you've got me interested. Young Henry Jones Senior. I would watch. In every episode, <laughs> he at the last minute remembers his Charlemagne. Like that's what I want from the show.
0: He names the dog Indiana at the end of the show, <laughs> at the end of the season. <laughs> but it would literally just be a man doing some light filing. As far as I, I don't. Isn't that the idea of, of Professor
2: Henry yeah, Jones be sitting cool. we we knew him. Knew of him? Maybe he had a secret ah. double life.
4: Mm.
0: I shall do remember my Charlemagne. <laughs> oh my god
4: surprised it I, took you that long to
0: get
2: here I really do.
0: <laughs> take it easy why do you think I should the book poem in the first place Well, it wouldn't fall into their hands junior
2: <laughs> but you know I mean so so uh, Indiana Jones I like the films a lot but I don't like Indy himself and the franchise doesn't have the same I don't have the same protective feeling about it or the same warm glow that I have for things like Star Wars So slap <laughs> latch for blasphemy for <laughs> <laughs> fair enough
0: <laughs> Sorry, I'm off now. <laughs> like, it's it, it's
2: that's like it. A, We're never getting Chris a, back. It's like a, <laughs> like so a conrad. So all box.
0: the
5: way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, dearie me. And in Latin, Jehovah spelled with an I. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that film so much. Anyway, so uh, I think so that's lovely. it. Th- that's for movie news. We shall see what happens with that. And uh, yeah, shall we have a guest? Let's sure. do it. Why not? Let's have a guess. So, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the biggest noise in movies. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see, but every time I've mentioned the name of this film, Amon has done the Wakandan salute every time. I'll, do, I'll try it again to see what happens. So, you can't see this at home, but trust me. So, Black Panther Wakanda Forever.
6: Yeah, no, he's, he's done it again. Is. He's done it again.
0: It's like a reflex. He just can't help himself. Now, he doesn't even know he's doing it. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. There he goes! (laughs) He's in (laughs) cinemas this weekend! (laughs) Ryan Coogler is back as director, and uh, of course this was a movie that was beset by tragedy. When its leading man, Chabak Boseman, T'Challa himself passed away uh, after a battle with cancer a a couple of years ago, and there was even some discussion at one point whether this movie would happen, and whether it would happen with the the cast and crew of the original In Place. But it has, it is out this week. Ryan Coogler is back as director and co-writer. And Denai Guerrera is back. Also, she uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the the movie. I think it's fair to say has a focal point, but it is also much more of an ensemble than the previous Black Panther movie, which was obviously centered around T'Challa and Chabak Boseman. Uh, but one of the breakouts of that movie was Denai Guerrera as Okoye, one of the members of the Dora Milaje, who is of course the Wakandan all-female fighting unit. A very formidable character. One of my favorite MCU characters, and uh, she is. Front and slightly to the centre of this movie. Uh, And she's great uh, once again. And Amon here uh, spoke to her. Was this in person or on Zoom, Amon? I can't remember. It was in
4: person. She was wearing a phenomenal
0: jacket. My goodness. (laughs) Uh,
4: Yes. We we did talk around some spoilery stuff um, because there's a lot that happens in this movie, especially when it comes to her character that she wanted to preserve that Experience for audiences who have not yet seen it yet. Um, so hopefully, we did a good job of that. Um, but yeah, still really, really fun. I did ask a walking dead adjacent question at the end as well, which was fun.
0: <laughs> All right, here we go. Then, Denai Guerrero talking to Amon Warman. Do please enjoy.
4: We are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the general herself, Denai Guerrero. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Congratulations on the movie. This is your fifth time playing Okoye now, if you factor in What If as well, which I am. When you think back to first getting cast in this role, I'm guessing that was 2016 now. What springs to mind for you?
3: A really amazing journey, actually, that I'm very thankful for. Just a beautiful um, connection to this world, the story I've gotten to tell, the character I've gotten to play, the people I've gotten to become very close family with. And um, yeah, the journey hasn't been that easy. We, of course have recently tragically lost our brother, uh, Chadwick Boseman, who welcomed me into this family and who was such a uh, significant part of all of our lives. So that is a part of the journey, too.
4: And I want to fast forward a little bit to before, to just before uh, Ryan gave you the rundown of this new script. Um, because in terms of what this film could be, given Chadwick's passing, where were you at before reading that script and where were you at after reading that script?
3: Well, it wasn't even the script that did it. It was actually when he said to me, um, you know, when he, got, when he got in touch with me and he said, you know, we're doing it. We're doing I'm working on it already. I've been working on it. And I was shocked because I really didn't know. I hadn't been thinking about it actively because I was just dealing with the loss. But I really didn't um, really I guess I didn't entirely expect us to carry on. Um, I didn't know. But when Ryan said that and he said he was doing it because he really felt it's what Chadwick would have wanted, I really understood that. Um, it clicked to me immediately that that's true and that was true of, of who Chadwick was mm-hmm. and the sort of legacy he would want to leave and the way he sees his people and his community and um, the story that this was telling that was very dear to him. So I, I really, I immediately as I heard that, that's when I was clear that we were going to do this and we were going to do it in his honor.
4: Black Panther was a story that asked if successful black communities have a responsibility to help those less fortunate, which I love. Um, and it felt very urgent, very relevant to today's world. How do you feel that this movie speaks to today's world?
3: It speaks to so many things. I won't go into too much detail, but <laughs> um, I think it also speaks to uh that the sort of connection. That people can have um, unexpectedly, you know, when they see themselves, they've seen themselves reflected back themselves. There's a lots, lots of conversation between two indigenous nations in this uh, narrative that I think, and the reclaiming of and protection of self and the methodologies, the ethics around protection, mm-hmm. and um, and that is something that I think is um, very, very paramount right now in the world. And also, um, even grief, grief and loss. How do you navigate it? How do you um, how do you uh see yourself through it and uh get to the other side in a way that honors those that you've lost? And so I think there's a lot of themes in the movie that um are very uh prevalent and in, in just how people live in a world in a sense where we're always the do we're like we're always expected to be doing, doing, doing. But when does when do you actually stop and like reflect on, you know, how you're gonna get through something and who you're becoming?
4: There's a moment I'm going to be as unspecific as I possibly can be here, um, but there's a moment where someone is asked, what do you see when you think of T'Challa? And the eventual payoff to that is stunning. When you think of Chadwick, what comes to mind for you? What do you see?
3: Uh, you know, Chadwick was an incredible leader. He was extremely funny. He was extremely uh, present for others. That was what was really a beautiful. He was very generous, his heart and his energy, and um, really helped each of us in the last film, actualize our characters as strongly as possible and that that's not always what you find so I just remember in a leading man so I just remember feeling so anchored by him and so uh safe with him there like no one's gonna while out no one's gonna, you know no one's going to fool because Chadwick's here and yeah. no one does that around Chadwick
4: yeah <laughs> I love that you mentioned leadership there and I wanted to pick up on that because This is, I guess, more of an ensemble in a way, but if there's a leader, it would be Ryan Kruger. And a lot lot of this film talks about leadership and what that entails and what good leadership and bad leadership looks like. When you look at Ryan and how he's led you through this film, what can you speak to in terms of him and his leadership?
3: I think he did a tremendous job. I mean, in the beginning, I was there a little earlier because we were training the the Dora Mm. and the other combat folks were training. And so we were there a lot earlier, but I just said I went to chat I went to I went to Ryan I just said, this feels just so different it's something I was a little disoriented and and, um, and Ryan was great at uh, helping us, you know at anchoring us, you know and he just had a, a a confidence in what we were doing and in what his vision was and that just allowed all of us to uh, to feel, Clear and and about the purpose that we were fulfilling by being there and giving our all to the story. So, just the sheer fact that he was he was confident in in what we were doing and understood what how these waves of grief were going to hit, and was able to to help us in those moments and and keep us clear about the vision. That was um, that meant a lot.
4: You mentioned the training there. And I wanted to get into you that because you have a lot of great fight scenes. There's a really intense one that you have. You're facing off against multiple opponents, shall we say, and you're doing your thing and it's great. <laughs> um, did, it, did you find it easier to get back into the swing of sort of the movement and what
3: Absolutely you need not. to do? Absolutely oh, not. Oh, really? No, I mean, because we'd been in COVID, we'd been all locked down. And mm. then we came, <laughs> this was the first thing I did out <laughs> of COVID. Mm. So you've been locked in your house for a year. And now it's like, you know, but also... Um, You know, there was just a lot, I, you know, I had an injury or two. And so it was very interesting to like work through those and, and keep going. And and it was interesting because it was a lot of perseverance, a lot of struggle, which I thought was great in terms of understanding, like how, like the right sort of physical therapy and all that stuff actually was making me stronger than I was before. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I can do this now. I couldn't do it before because I've had to focus on this body part in a new way. And so um, there was a lot of perseverance and struggle that came with, with this round of, uh of training. Whereas last time I was coming right out of Walking Dead, so I just had more of an alacrity for what I needed to do. This time it was very much, it felt like I was building myself back up. And um, and then with an injury or two, it was even more so. So, and then, you know, there was, there was more, uh, there was an interesting aspect of, there was something more, there was an intensity to some of this combat that was uh, just on a different level. And so, um, you know, I was very keen to consistently train. I was really kind of, you know, a maniac about it and uh, would would ask to see to be with my trainer, Micah, when they were like, we're not training right now. We're moving venues. We don't have a spot. I was like, just give me a mat and Micah and my spear. I'll be good. Like, I need to train. (laughs) So I was kind of a maniac about that. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. That helps. But I really wanted on the day I wanted to feel really at ease and confident and just allow her, to, her mind to take over. Not that I thinking about the next move, but her mind about how she strategically handles these types of situations. That takes months and months of rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. It and one time in- I will, Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but, this, but at some point I'll release some of my rehearsal videos on the yes. gram because I keep getting asked this. So I was like, well, I'll show you guys some stuff. Some of my favorite Okoye
4: moments, actually when she's outside of Wakanda and... Because of that, I mean, in this film, I see you serving fashion and I, you with, see, with, it? I, I see you serving fashion, serving the oh, looks oh. <laughs> in this movie, especially when you have that uh, scene with, sequence with you and Shuri when you're outside of Wakanda. What were your conversations with Ruthie Carter, the great Ruthie mm. Carter about that look in particular? Because it's stunning.
3: Oh cool yeah thank you i mean listen thank you from her um, she she's fantastic she's amazing she's just a goddess of and of taste and class and storytelling like so my whole conversation is don't let it be too too tight around the knees let me move my arms around and how quickly and easily can i take it off like you know what i mean <laughs> can i pee you know what i mean <laughs> but like you know these are important questions these are important questions cuz i'm on set for like you know we we shot that over the course of four shooting days and um you know that's a long like we're just it's just it's me and that and and the, the folks that we shall not mention so we don't spoil anything you know it's just us the whole time it's me the whole time so i i, I need to know how quickly i can you mm. know get get my business done and do whatever i need to do so those are my questions for this for the <laughs> design. but i mean i did love like she she came up with the concept for that stuff and i'll have an input when i look at it i'm like hmm hmm, I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that. My whole thing also is shoes. Are the shoes comfortable? Mm. How do they look cool? And they're also really, really comfortable at the same time. (laughs) Like, so Mm. that's, then we try different shoes. I say which ones I feel are comfortable. Then I say, can you dye Mm. this the right color? (laughs) Because I love these. You know, that's really our conversations. She then comes around and, that the outfit I'm wearing in that scene, like it, it shifted, like she would shift the design on it. Mm. And I think it was a collab with an with an athletic brand, but she would shift the design. And so one time it was one design and I thought it was pretty cool, but then she shifted it and it made it much more Wakandan. And I was like, oof, this chick is so good. She's so good.
4: <laughs> Did you miss not being able to throw a wig or were you okay with the lack of the wig?
3: Um, I was okay with that. I think we found, we found, we found this whole other aspect, you know. Uh, we still found some humor in a different way. So you did. I thought
4: that was and, good. And that also came through. Um, show them who you are. That's not a line of dialogue that's spoken to um, Okoye specifically. Right. Um, but it is a very important and powerful one.
0: Mm-hmm. And
4: Okoye goes through a lot of changes in this movie. I'm not going to detail what, but what's something about her that will always remain the same regardless
3: uh you know she's she's she has a relentlessness to her you know Mm -hmm. like she's not going to leave a task half done and i think that was something that she has to find a new way to do in this film that she didn't plan um but you know there's definitely an aspect to her that is about you know if i can't do it this way i'm going to find another way to do it Mm -hmm. and that's very much how she um she gets through um the world and she loves on her nation and her people
4: that line is spoken by Angela Bassett. Uh, yes. You get to have more scenes with Angela Bassett in this film. Yes. Uh, what was that like acting across from her and some of the sort of the deep emotional moments that your characters share, especially?
3: Um, I love working with Angela. I mean, she is she is astounding. She is um, you know, she's I don't even know how to describe her. She's mm-hmm. our royalty. She is our royalty, by the mm-hmm. way, outside of 100%. Wakanda. And so I was very thankful, really, um, to get to work with her in this sort of a depth of a way and and, um, and very much, uh, uh, I love like the way we, I think there's a, there's a similar philosophy that a lot of us have, um, just about all of us. I'm looking at this poster and just about all of us are from theater and there's something about, um, how you don't, it doesn't matter who the camera is on. You're giving each other 110%. So even if the camera's only on the back of my head and it's just looking at you, there's no, I don't hold anything back to give only when it's facing me. That's insane. Some people do do that. We don't come from that school. Mm-hmm. So we take care of each other and we take care of the story. And that's something that was so beautiful to do with her. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's just she's just incredible. They're just, mm-hmm. I, I can't go into details, but I will when the movie's <laughs> out about how incredible she is. Like scenes where she's like really encouraging and in intensity and you're like, are you yeah. sure? Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's just cause she is so committed to, um, to letting you find everything you need to find um, for the sake of the story, and so that the story works beautifully for everyone. Um, final question. Okoye has the spear. Yeah.
4: Michonne has the sword. Right. The nightgiver only gets to use one of these weapons. Which does she pick?
3: Can't do that. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. I can't. I can't, uh, no. listen, I just, it's like, I have too much respect for both weapons. <laughs> I really respect both weapons. They both have astounding have abilities.
4: You, have you gotten to keep any of them?
3: You know, I recently obtained my Walking Dead sword. Recently. Where does it reside in the- I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna tell okay, you. Okay, okay, okay. I it... mean, I just don't want it out there. There
4: it is. Is it it's in It's on like... the moon. If somebody were to come and visit Denai's house, would they be able to see it in full view or have you got it hidden away someplace?
3: Not yet, not yet. I It was recent. Okay. Like now they have to but, figure uh, out what to do with it. But, and honestly, I'm not going to tell you where, it's, where it is. <laughs> I'm not going to tell the world that. It's not necessarily in my house.
4: Oh, okay.
3: Okay. <laughs> I want that to be clear. Okay, I'm But um, it. Um, Yeah, it was, but, pretty, it was pretty incredible to awesome. get my hands on it and take it away from... <laughs> From it's From the props <laughs> Safe
4: Well on that note uh, Denai Guerrero, General Okoye Thank you so much for your time It's
0: been so much fun and
4: Thank you Congratulations on the film again Appreciate
0: that Thank you Okay so that was Denai Guerrera, Okoye herself And now we have One more Black Panther Wakanda Forever Interview treat for you About Oh I don't know now 15, 16, 17 years ago Christ I'm old uh, I went to Visit Marvel And I sat down with Avi Arad, who was still in charge back then. Kevin Feige was his number two. And I remember him saying that he was about to take a meeting with the director of the Namor the Submariner movie. Now, obviously that didn't happen. But it means that Marvel have been trying to bring the story of Namor, or Namor, depending on who you listen to, one of the most interesting and complex characters in the Marvel Comics universe, to the big screen for a long, long time now. They were also stymied in their efforts in the Marvel Studios era by the fact that Namor is considered to be part of the Fantastic Four universe, and therefore his rights were tied up at Fox. That, of course, is no longer an issue. And so now they have introduced him in Black Panther Wakanda Forever as the antagonist of the movie. Not... Alongside the Fantastic Four, not in opposition to the Fantastic Four, but in opposition to Wakanda from his underwater kingdom of Talakan, And he's played by Tenoch Huerta Mejia, who is a, a Mexican actor of indigenous descent, who brings to the character dignity and grace, but also retains some of those great nemorian touchstones. Namely, he has his nips out a lot, he has wings on his feet, and he's a raging prick, an unrepentant Raging Prick. Thankfully, Tenoch himself is not a Raging Prick. He is a lovely, lovely guy, as Amon found out when he went along to speak to him on the same day that he spoke to Danai Guerrero as well. Truly, our Black Panther Cup runneth over. So here we go. Amon talking to Tenoch Huerta Mejia. I'm sorry if I butchered that pronunciation. About Namor and Black Panther Wakanda forever. Enjoy.
4: Uh, we'd like to be joined in the Empire Podcast by the star of Black Panther, Tenoch Huerta. How are you,
6: sir? Ah, thank you. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm pretty good. I'm excited.
4: <laughs> As well, you should be. You kill it in this movie. Oh. Thank Literally
6: you. and figuratively.
4: Um let's rewind to you putting on Namor's costume for the first time. What did that feel like? Because it's
6: a look. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was it was so great when we because I wasn't alone, when mm. we so this you know the jewelry and all the custom it was so fantastic and then the shores were a little bit tiny <laughs> but good <laughs> i can't complain <laughs> but but yeah when I, when the first time i i i, I watched myself with the whole custom the ears you know mm. the nose piece everything mm. it was like kind of electric feeling you know it was Mm. like oh my god this is this is real this is happening now and is this this guy
4: Mm. yeah no absolutely um one of the things i love about Namor's arc in this film is how it dovetails with Shuri's arc um because they're both leaders who have similarities as well as Mm -hmm. differences and that the script really sort of emphasizes that what was it like bringing that dynamic to
6: life well it, it it was easier because of Leticia, you know? Mm. I was the new guy in the in the block, you know? I was the Mexican guy visiting his uh, cousins in the <laughs> States, you know, right. and uh, they were really, really, they were lovely with me. Uh, Leticia, she embraced me, you know? She just created this bubble around us, so it was mm. easier to explore the connection, the the relationship between these two characters. Of course Ryan was the, the the guide of all this process. but yeah, it was so fantastic to connect first like human beings then as act, as an act, uh, actors and then the characters. So I think it was yeah part uh, maybe the most enjoyable part of my job. Was to share the the sad scenes with Leticia, with Angela, of course, and Mabel and Alex, and you know, it it felt so. I felt protected.
4: Mm-hmm. Talukan looks incredible in this movie, um, and I love how they take the time to introduce us to it and how it works. Is there a favorite detail that you have that really sticks out to you in terms of the world of Talocan that they
6: created that you inhabit? I think, of course, they they made a a very 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 profound uh, research about you know Talocan and they they built this this world from uh, Mesoamerican cultures and Mayan cultures specifically, and they hired this advisor. They were Mayan. They grew up in Mayan community, they speak Mayan and they 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 have the, the degrees, but they provide them with all the information. So when I when I realized what they were doing with this, you know, this world, for me was so fantastic and great. But for me, the most important part of all of this was like, let's let's show the people their regular life. Mm-hmm. How they live, you know, because sometimes with this kind of cultures, we have this like a uh, blur image about them, like oh, they were this and that, but we don't really know about the day by day of the population. Population, you know, how the the real people live in these cultures, because how the people live is the sp- the real spirit of a of a, of a country of uh, culture so uh, they 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 made this approach and I think the, it works and for me I was really excited about that part of the story mm. to show her I mean in the, in, the, in the story to show her how we live and how was that important to protect my people I know for this film,
4: before this film, you did not know how to swim um, <laughs> or, or you hadn't swum much. Here you had to do a lot of <laughs> swim training to get ready for the role. Yeah. What was it like sort of doing all that acting underwater? Was it sort of more challenging
6: than exciting or the other way around for you? Oh, well, that, that's, that's a really good question. It's different, just different. Mm-hmm. But I enjoy a lot to be down there. Mm-hmm. You know, I could hold my breath for five minutes now. That is insane. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I started not knowing how to swim, and, and then I can hold it wow. my breath. So, but we, they they help us to go down because you can consume a lot of oxygen trying to go down. <laughs> so they pull pull us down. They help us to be s- set it set, and mm-hmm. then uh, when they set action. I just try to, you know, I done the scene and then repeat. Like, I, I, I set myself in a loop, you know, like, mm. let's do all over again, not cutting. Uh, we were able to shoot three three times the same scene, you know, and then reset and do all over again. And it was easier. We find our own method. We, we find our own uh, way to make it easier. And it was so enjoyable because for me to be there is such a great experience.
4: Yeah, you mentioned there that you now know how to hold your breath for five minutes, which is again insane, which is something you didn't know not, did not know how to do before this film. Has there been any other project where you've learned something really cool that you didn't know how to do before that you still practice today?
6: Yeah, well, I. Uh... <laughs> Every time that I I go to a pool or or a river or whatever in Mexico, I try to to hold my breath as long as okay. I can, <laughs> uh, of nice. course. And yeah, but uh, I I enjoy it a lot, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the the main thing is, I know it sounds like uh, kind of showing off or arrogant, but to feel proud of what we did the representation and that maybe many kids in Latin America, and I hope that's happened, could feel proud of who they are and with the reflection in the mirror Mm. because they taught us to feel ashamed of who we are for a long time, 500 years. Mm. And we finally make a movie like this, making a movie like this, uh, creating these kind of representations I think it helps mm. to, to heal the wound and mm-hmm. embrace our roots and who we are. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy to jump into the pool, <laughs> I enjoy yeah. all the skills that I uh, have now, but mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. legacy of this movie for me is the most important part. Mm-hmm. I know you're writing a book about representation as
4: well, so I hope there's a whole big chapter on Namor specifically because you got a whole new thing to write now. Yeah. Um, but have you heard any reaction from your community about sort of this film? I know that it's not quite out yet as we speak, but has, has anybody sort of gotten in touch with you? What Have you been feeling the love? What's what's the meaning? What's been the yeah, answer? yeah,
6: that, this is happening. Actually, I have a, a good friend. She went to the L.A. Premier, she is running an organization. They protect indigenous people in the United States, the immigrants, Mm. Uh, but indigenous from the all continent, from all Latin America. Just Mm. in Mexico, we have 68 different languages. So can you imagine how many different people (laughs) and population is beautiful? Mm. Uh, She said, I I felt proud and I felt uh, really, you know, I enjoy it. And, you know, you my character is talking, he's speaking in Maya, and uh, there are like five or six uh, v- v- variation of the Maya. So we choose the most extended in Mexico, in Peninsula de Yucatan. So, yeah, they, they 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 feel so good, you know, and I'm receiving all the time these uh, messages in social media, but the most important thing and the thing that I love the most is these kids, uh, you know, with the costume, and uh, adults, with, yeah. they, they made their own costume. Oh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's fantastic, but <laughs> the kids, especially the kids, it's mm. so lovely. Yeah.
4: There's one thing I wanted to ask you about when it comes to sort of underwater acting, because there's a thing that you do when you come to solid ground where you sort of brush your hair back. I'm not sure if anybody's asked you about this, but there's a lot of people taking notice of that. And I was wondering, was that a note from Ryan or is that something that you just decided
6: to do? Uh, I made it work. Well, uh, <laughs> Ryan asked me because Interesting. sometimes my hair was in my eyes. Right. <laughs> so just to avoid, you know, sometimes you do it or not, always try to do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. But it was Ooh. more, it was a practical decision. <laughs> but now it's kind of um, like a label. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's
4: taken on a life of its own, believe me. People are going to be asking about that. I'm not going to be the only one. Um, Namor is a mutant, and you really feel his power level come through in this film. Was there an aspect of him being a mutant that you especially enjoyed bringing to life?
6: Oh, I think uh, fly. Mm. I think flying is the most, uh, you know, because the human being can swim. Yeah, Human being can be strong or a good fighter or whatever but fly is mm. not human so <laughs> doing that I enjoy it a lot <laughs> The future of Namor in the MCU
4: what have, have you given any thought to that and what does that look like in your mind ideally?
6: I don't know uh, honestly I don't know I don't have a clue of course I want to have uh, more opportunities more space to, to explore the character to explore his um, mythology and his world. Of course I want to, Mm. but uh, by the moment, I don't know, as uh, Kevin Feige said and the Mm. premiere, it depends on how many tickets the people can buy (laughs) and then we'll see. Mm. But yeah, of course, I I want to explore a little bit more.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I will tell my people to buy all the tickets so that we get to explore more. Ah, Thank you. Um, (laughs) Final question for you. Um, Imperious Rex is a big saying attributed to Nabal in the comics. Do you, did you have any conversations with Ryan about what that means? Because in the comics, it's like a running gag that nobody really knows what it means. Did you have those conversations and what were the answers that Ryan was giving to you?
6: Yes, of course. And we yeah. tried to find a way to, to say that, uh, phrase in, in Maya. So we explore, uh, the meaning because is a different culture, you know, different uh, frame. And for example, in Mesoamerican cultures, the rulers they were the first servant of the people. You know, that's the concept of the ruler. Is the the people who serve the people. He he never take from the people. They give the people. So it's a different, you know, an empire. The concept of empire is different from that. So. We have to find the right, the right way to keep it, but provide it with the cultural context to make it logical. And of course, we respect that phrase, we respect the character, we respect the core and the main aspects of the character. But of course, we allow the, the new version to take its own life and its own uh, Footprint. Yeah. In
4: addition to Imperius Rex, Tolokans have this thing. They had make this hand signal. Yeah. Um. I know this is a podcast. you can't see. What it's a, I mean. Yeah. It's a salute. It's a, yeah. So yeah, a, yeah can, can you talk about that and what it means and for for this film for because
6: people when when we go to Tolokan, they they make that signal. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a it's a way to show respect. Uh, to the rulers, and it is. Uh, yeah, it, it, we 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 have to find this this salute and uh, and they w- name or salute the people mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. which means they they have a more horizontal relationship between the leader, the ruler, and the people. They 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 have in the you know almost the same level. Yeah. Of course, different different responsibilities and everything, but they salute back, you know, is, uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's beautiful because you can you can explore a little bit more about the relationship between him and the people, you know, how they perceive him. Of course, for them, he's powerful and everything, but at the end, he's just one of them.
4: And I hope we get to see more Namor in the MCU because you are fantastic in the Me world. too. Weta, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you,
6: buddy
0: now let's dig into the biggest noise in the multiplexes this weekend as we begin the reviews section of the show it is he's he's gonna do it he's he's gearing up black panther wakanda forever Amon mormon take it away
4: yes uh wakanda forever uh just to set up a little bit uh this follows the death of king t'challa it actually takes place one year after that event in the film, and Shuri and Queen Ramonda, once again played by Letitia Wright and, and Angela Bassett, they are struggling to move on from that, um, but they can't really focus on it because Namor, played by Huerta Meha, um, comes on the scene and essentially demands uh, Wakanda's help with an incident that is developing because at the end of Black Panther, of course, T'Challa unveiled Wakanda to the world and also unveiled vibranium to the world and the world wants vibranium but of course Wakanda are not going to give them any of it so they're searching for it elsewhere they may have found it in Namor's kingdom and that is where conflict arises without saying too much more we we are critics we're going to talk about it critically as all film critics should but I do feel it's worth noting that whereas with many other, most other Marvel films, a director really only has to worry about delivering a really you know cool comic book film. This has to do that, and it also has to honor Chadwick Boseman, and it also has to follow up on this cultural juggernaut that was Black Panther. It's a lot to handle. I think that Ryan Coogler, returning writer-director, the co-writer is Joe Robert Cole, uh, does a pretty good job of it for the most part. Um, Shuri is elevated to sort of the lead role here, and I think Letitia Wright acquits herself very, very well. It's a very strong performance from her. I love that a lot of Ryan Coogler's work um, with Creed, with Fruitvale Station, and with the first Black Panther, it's about fathers and sons. Here, it's really about mothers and the relationship that they have with their children. In Namor's case, it's son. In Shuri and Ramona's case, it's obviously mother daughter. And that relationship both of those relationships i think are done really really well um the action for the most part i really really enjoyed it feels impactful in the way that some other marvel movies don't quite manage there's a couple of moments watching this film for the first time where you're like is this character going to make it out of here okay because some of the hits that they're taking are just like damn you really really feel that coming through the screen so I love that. I think on a technical level, it's also really, really great. When you're properly introduced to Talokan, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sequence, which I absolutely loved.
0: And Talokan is?
4: It's the underwater kingdom that Nemo rules. Um, so, yeah, we get into how uh, everything works down there. And that's really, really interesting, really, really beautiful. This film is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's quite messy. There are times when I felt like it was two films warring against each other. Even though a lot of what I was watching I was still enjoying, it definitely I felt that at times. Um there are a couple of characters who get lost in this shuffle. I think Aneka Michaela Cole's character is the biggest mm-hmm. um casualty mm-hmm. of that um in particular. Okoye the Gero's character, she's great, but it feels like her arc is unfinished. And um, that's that, that that's an issue that I had as well. But overall Considering everything that the filmmakers had to deal with in landing this plane, it is somewhat of a minor miracle that it is even to the quality level that it is. Um, I I think the first one was better, as I say, but I still really, really enjoyed this. It's in the conversation for my favourite film of Phase 4, and I have talked for far too long, so I'm going to throw it to you guys.
0: (laughs) Who wants to go next?
1: Yeah I'm 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 up on it as well but I have major notes I think um some look some things about it are great I love these characters I, I love these actors I think the performances are across the board solid at the very at the very least um Seeing M- M'Baku get a little bit more to do, Winston mm. Duke is so much fun in that role. I wanted a little bit more from him, but I'll take what I can get. Um, I also wanted more for Okoye here because, like like you say, she's she's just a, such a force of nature. Um, but what I got, you know, well, I've got some things we'll talk about in this world special, but most of it I really, really enjoyed. My issues were story. My issues were that it feels not just, obviously there were chops and changes because of the tragic loss of Chadwick Boseman. And I thought the film dealt brilliantly with oh, those. I felt like it, it yeah. had obviously sweated blood to give the emotion that we all need, the catharsis that everybody needs as, as a viewer and a fan, as well as you know the in-universe characters, um, to, to deliver that emotional heft. And I thought it did brilliantly with that. What I thought was wrong was all the other stuff that should have been much, much easier by comparison. There are scenes that feel like remnants. And I'm not usually the one sitting here noticing that that feels like a scene that's been chopped down and, and reshot or whatever but there were scenes here that feel like fragments of longer storylines that have been left aside yeah I was I was a little bit mixed coming out of it I wasn't feeling as as sort of euphoric as I expected to going into this I thought this would also be my nailed on you know head of phase four with a bullet kind of thing and it's very much not it's very much in the mix with the rest
2: mm. Yeah, I'm very much in in Helen's camp on this. Like, I enjoyed it and I thought it was good. But that, like, that first trailer made this seem like it could be just transcendental. It looked so good, and I think it has a long run time. I don't think that's necessarily a deal breaker, but I think in here it is crammed with so much unnecessary shit that feels kind of cynically there just to set up TV shows down the line. And I just I could have done without all of that. Um, and there were moments of this. I like. I think No is one of my favorite. Uh, Marvel villains up there with Kil and of course Thanos uh, I just I, I think he's a really fascinating take on a in my opinion not great comic book character Hey, uh, hey but,
0: you take that back. Yeah, I'm not a you fan take, of Namor. I like the fact back. that Namor is an
2: unrepentant twat at all times, and I quite like that about him. And there are hints of that you here as well. I'm with
1: that. James? Funny, isn't <laughs> it? Uh,
2: but I think that I think it was a very sensitive, nuanced way of bringing that character—a character who is inherently stupid. He's got winged ankles, and they make him work within this world without you feeling like it's silly. And I think that's impressive work. um What I think this doesn't do, though, I, for me, it did didn't deliver in a number of of areas i think partly that was action wise i thought the action sequences some of them are good uh some of them are very muddled but nothing really is i found memorable or stand out you know it's cool and it's it's he manages to what they did with that you know obviously i i you know hats off to them for a number of these things but yeah it, this is this is polarized i think some people um i like it uh i definitely wouldn't pile onto it but it, yeah it's far it's far from perfect
0: it gives you the emotional heft, right? It's, so it gives you that. I oh, mean, yeah, I, does I don't do want to spoil that. things. Like,
2: yeah. and, and what they do, certainly at the beginning and there's uh, some moments later on where they, they sort of eulogise Chadwick Boseman brilliantly within narrative. I think they do that perfectly. And I wouldn't change a thing about that. I think it's great.
4: I've said this uh, last week or so since I've seen the film, but I think the final five minutes of this film, the last scene in the movie and the mid credit scene, I think perfection is an understatement. Really? It's so I think they are, I think sublime storytelling. I freaking love it. Every time I think about it, I get emotional. Um, for me, given some of the conversations that were happening in the lead-up to this film, especially when it came to whether or not to recast Chadwick, um, because T'Challa is such an important character for the MCU, you know, Black people have just got, got gotten this hero that they're all looking up to, and now you're taking it away from us. Given where they end up with the story, I think the storytelling just in relation to that question is phenomenal. And when it happens, it it hit me very hard. Um, So yeah,
0: we'll, we'll talk about it more in, I'm sure. Um, We're doing our full deep dive, three hours, Ryan Coogler interview, the whole kit and caboodle. That'll be up in about two weeks or so after the movie opens. And then we'll be doing a listener questions, special, which is now kind of our, our Marvel beat. That's what we do now. We do reaction show, Big deep dive, listener questions bit at the end to to mop up anything else we that we might have missed. So that'll be happening over the next few weeks. Uh, so keep them peeled on the spoiler special channel for that one. Uh, but yes, we gave this one four stars, four stars for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That's that's a big one. I mean, that's the only movie in town this week. Honestly, I'm I'm astonished that any movie has been brave <laughs> enough to go up against it. Uh, but there, there, there are. There are a number of movies, one of which opened last week. I'm going to say opened. It it, it was delivered uh, in the classic Netflix-styly, uh, Knockdown Ginger-styly, which made me think that it was a Netflix movie, but it isn't. It's just available on internet, and it is the new Hellraiser. Who wants to take Hellraiser? Does anybody want to take Hellraiser? Let's do a puzzle to find, figure out who's yes. going to talk about Hellraiser.
2: Uh, yes, I am in the Lament configuration for this particular review. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, see, the thing with this is, this is actually Hellraiser 10. And that's that's yeah. kind of like is, is it 11? Are you mm-hmm. sure? Mm-hmm. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9... T- it is Hellraiser 11. Well, I have been schooled instantly. It is, in fact, the 10th <laughs> sequel, then not the 9th sequel, as I thought it was. But the point kind of stands is that I don't know if it was sold as this, but it certainly has kind of come across as this, that people might be expecting this to be a Candyman-esque kind of regeneration, a reboot, a rethinking, a going back to the beginning. Because Clive Barker's been trying to do a complete retelling of the original Hellraiser story for a while now. Um, But for me, that's not what this is. This is the 10th sequel. This is just another Hellraiser film. Which picks on the same broad themes of you know sadism and S&M and whatnot, uh, and gives you some nasty horror visuals to 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 take away. Now this is. This sort of focuses around Odessa Azayan's character. She plays Riley, uh, and she's a girl who's kind of recently come out of rehab. She's living with her brother and his boyfriend. Uh, She's not having the best time, and she comes into possession through some ill-fated nighttime larceny of the puzzle box, for which we are all quite familiar. You get the puzzle, you solve it like a Rubik's Cube, but unlike a Rubik's Cube, pain and suffering follow in its wake. Uh, And ends up summoning the Cenobites, led by in this case Jamie Clayton who plays the priest aka pinhead so this i think is like the most interesting part of this that it's a different take on that character instead of flathead nails they're now kind of pearl handled hat pins so it's a slightly classier pinhead this time around <laughs> <laughs> But the story is quite straightforward. There's not a lot to it in terms of narrative. I think the only thing this does do in terms of moving things along is it enhances the lore of Hellraiser a little bit. You get a little bit more sort of... The the, the puzzle box, should we say, gets levelled up a little bit. There are different configurations, different rules, different themes around it. And that, I thought, was quite fun. And that did something that, that Hellraiser kind of maybe hasn't done in quite that way before. But beyond that, like I, I can't claim to have seen all 11 of these. I've seen Hellraiser, I've seen Hellbound, and I've seen Hell on Earth. And then I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I think rightly so. Um... And this didn't really do much to earn its place here. Like, I feel like if you're going to do a Hellraiser film, do go back and remake the first film and do something different with it. Do something exciting with it. Move the narrative on. Like, even the visuals here, like, grim as they are, and they are really unpleasant, some of the body horror in this, like, I still don't feel it was as impressive as some of the stuff you see in those early films. You know, and obviously effects have come on quite a way and it doesn't that didn't seem to be on display here so i don't know whether it was a budgetary reason or, or quite what that was but it felt like it lacked a little bit of ambition for me so i i was not raising hell with this one i'm sorry
0: yeah i felt it was very very icky and i actually felt it was ickier and gorier than the early hellraiser films and like you i checked out after hell on earth which is basically you know, was the early trilogy mm. and that is a pretty much self-contained Story, a very good one. I really, and I love the first one in particular. I, Clive Barker's Hellraiser is one of the great horror films of the 80s for me. And it's this really twisted, intimate, psychosexual, deeply fucked up drama about someone who is a bit of a sadomasochist, bites off a bit more than he can chew, and it's really creepy and insidious. It's not a, I, I've never thought it's a jump em, scare em kind of film. It's no, never it's been like that. It's horrifying
2: in, the, in yes. the literal sense.
0: It really is. And this is interesting because it's trying, I think, to go down elements of that. And I really like some of the visuals. Uh, David Bruckner, who's the guy who directed The Night House, knows his way around a horror, modern horror, uh, is the director here. And there's some really interesting and creepy, effective sequences. I, I admired it, I thought it was interesting, but it wasn't, you're right, it wasn't really, it didn't really go into the areas that I wanted it to go into. And yeah. it's got some really interesting things about addiction, and about how the, the lead character, Riley, is addicted. And through her actions, is dragging people into her very, very dark web as well, and hurting them. And that's very much a thing that you know that addicts can do. Addicts can hurt the people around them. So I think there's a metaphor in there about that. It, it, it tries to explore the idea of sexuality and pain and how those those are linked, and how those appeal to the Cenobites, who of course are you know angels to some, demons to others, but they're they're basically. You know, it's like the Tory Party conference with these guys. That's essentially what it is. Uh, and and they're they're into all the freaky deaky shit. That's that's basically it. Uh, all that stuff I thought was very, very good, but I thought that it was a, a film in search of a story, and it did, mm. it took a long time to get to its story, and it took a long time to really hit the hit the home straight. But um yeah, the first one is is still unassailable for me.
4: Yeah, I'd go back and watch that. This should not surprise you. This was my first Hellraiser movie, um, so I don't know. <laughs> I do not have all the references that you guys are calling upon. Did on. it tear
2: your uh, apart? No. no
4: Although, sure. like again, this is not a film that I want to be thinking about for too. It's just it was very disgusting and just yeah. I don't want these images lingering in my brain. Um, but it was effectively done in that respect. Um, and yeah, I thought it was really well acted for the most part as well. It was good to see Gorn Viznich, um, who is in one of my favourite shows, Timeless, which is on Netflix right now. You should definitely go and watch it if you haven't already. It was I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you guys by the sound of it, purely because I don't have that classic Hell ways of stuff to refer to.
2: So
0: Well we gave us one two stars. I think that's a yes. bit harsh.
2: I'm I'm on board with that. Two really? stars. I'm a three. Oh, God. I'm a three.
0: I'm a three as well. (laughs) Uh, Hellraiser three, I'd give three stars to. I wouldn't give them to this. As I say, I think that's a little bit harsh. I would be in three camp, but uh, your configuration may vary. (laughs) Next up, we have the latest movie from those lovable lovable peeps over at Irish Animation House Cartoon Saloon. So we do. Uh, Helen, it's My Father's Dragon, the aforementioned My Father's Dragon. Has Ian McShane detached himself from this movie long enough for you to review it?
1: Uh, he has, yes. So this is the latest from Nora Toomey at Cartoon Saloon. She's the director who did uh, The Breadwinner, among other oh, she things. She also did
0: uh, Chucklefish and, didn't she? Uh, no, I'm thinking of Nora Toomey to you.
1: Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, this is based on a classic uh, children's book, which actually has been uh, adapted for the screen before. Uh, I think there was Japanese animation earlier in the century. But uh, our hero is a boy called um, Elmer, who's voiced by Jacob Tremblay, who moves with his mum, played by Goldshifter Far- Farhani, uh, to a new city and is having trouble kind of settling in and, and adjusting to this new life there. Basically, it's sort of um depression era and... Uh, you know, he's he's there's you know, they're struggling for money, and he's kind of not really getting what the problem is because uh, he's a kid. He ends up running away and ends up on this island full of beasts, including a friendly blue and yellow striped dragon called Boris, uh, voiced by Gaten Matar- uh, Matarazzo from Stranger Things. And the two of them form a sort of friendship, but um. While Elmer says that he's going to help the dragon you know, get his wings and get to the next stage of dragon existence, he's actually kind of hoping to persuade him to come back to the city with him and essentially be a, a source of income for him and his mum. So there's a little bit of kind of a, a unease in their friendship, but they have to uh, make their way across this island, which is sinking into the sea at the same time. And uh, they have various encounters with various other animals along the way. This is a bit this is definitely younger skewing than something like The Breadwinner, I would say. Um it's it's at the younger end of Cartoon Saloon's output. But even then, what is so great about this studio is that they have built in a lot of quite big themes as well. So you can watch it for the silly characters running around and the talking animals and everything else. But also there's, you know, there's some genuine stuff here about, you know, dealing with loss, um, about being in a new city, about not having any friends yet, about finding your way in the world, really, um, and what it means to be a friend, and what it means to, you know, uh, put other people's interests first. So I think it's it's actually pretty grown up and um, and quite thoughtful uh, underneath the you know bright colors and and uh, very basic, very very simple, clean character lines. Um, so I wouldn't be up there in my cartoon saloon sort of top three. With I guess the Secret of Kells, uh, mm-hmm. with Song of the Sea, Song of the sea so and good. with Wolf Walkers. Part but the at the same time, you know, the fact that it isn't in that top three is no is no diss. It's still a very, very, very good animated film.
0: Do we have enough to do a cartoon saloon ranking yet? Have they made enough movies?
1: Not quite yet. I think we. I think they're at. Are they at six now? I think what they're are they about playing six.
0: That. Pull your fingers out, lads! Come on, let's let's do it. It's just drawing and then putting the drawings together. That's, that's easy. Anyone can do that.
1: Wow. So yeah. I'm just
0: just saying. Another four, another four, and then we can do a ranking. All right. Sounds good. What did we give it, Helen?
1: Uh, we gave this one four. So, like I say, um, you know, very, very nicely tall, but not the very tip top of Cartoon Saloon's output.
0: It's not the tippermost of the toppermost, but the tippermost of the toppermost when it comes to Cartoon Saloon is a very high peak indeed. Uh, four stars then for My Father's Dragon. Also, debuting on Netflix next week on the 18th is The Wonder, but it is in cinemas this week just to get your head around that concept. And Amon Warman, you are the wonder man. <laughs> I, no, you talked about that last week. It was oh yeah, week. that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Welcome um, to the MCU, my friend.
4: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yes, this uh, takes place in 1862. It stars the great, magnificent Florence Pugh as an English nurse called Libright. She is sent to a small Irish village to observe this teenage girl who is supposedly healthy even though she has not eaten for four months. This Irish village is a very tight-knit religious community there. So they are like, this is purely a miracle. And Florence Pugh is like, is it though? Is essentially (laughs) uh, what this film is. Um, This is a come for Florence Pugh, stay for Florence Pugh, admire Florence Pugh kind of deal for me. Um, She is fantastic. I think I said this when Don't Worry Darling came out, but she has reached, I can watch her read the phone book status for me. She's that good. And she's really, really good in this as well. Uh, Just the the right amount of restraint and the right amount of vulnerability. And then in the end, the right amount of strength in this performance. Once you learn more about what her character is going through, uh, especially for me, it kicked up a notch uh, in the character work and in the storytelling. It just feels a little bit slight. Uh, I would have liked there to have been a little bit more there in terms of Uh, while it's on its mind at times but this is still worth watching if for nothing else for the great Florence Pugh.
0: Three stars then for The Wonder which is actually out on Netflix on Wednesday next Wednesday November 16th and uh, it's going to be followed very very swiftly by a film called Slumberland which stars Jason Momoa and is directed by Francis Lawrence and that's also out in cinemas selected cinemas around the country this week and will be on Netflix next week. Uh, Hell's Bells.
1: So this is the story of a little girl called Nemo, um, played by Marla Barclay. Uh, she grows up in uh, a, a lighthouse uh, with her dad, Kyle Chandler. A with lighthouse a magnificent- family, if you will. <laughs> yes, I suppose they were so.
4: lifted. <laughs> <laughs> lifted. Lifted. Classic. I'll stop.
1: So, uh, they uh, he is lost at sea, basically, one night in the middle of a storm, and she is left to go live with her uncle, who's played by Chris O'Dowd. But when she falls asleep, she finds herself going back to the lighthouse like Virginia Woolf. See, some of us can make highbrow references, you fuckers.
2: Who's um, <laughs> a yeah, yeah. um, of Virginia Woolf? There's another yeah. one. Hey. Boom, boom. Ducks, Coach Taylor, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. <laughs>
1: Um, we've moved on. We've moved on, James. He's lost at sea.
2: <laughs> Coach Taylor so was anyway. never lost at sea, Helen.
0: Sorry, Tom. I can't believe you've taken this long to make a Chandler reference. Could you be any less topical?
1: <laughs> so anyway, uh, she goes back to the lighthouse in her dreams. She finds there a character called Flip, played by Jason Momoa, who is this sort of, um, you know... He's got horns on his head. He's got wild hair. He's he's a bit crazy. He's a bit all over the place. He's got goat feet. He's an outlaw. And he basically <laughs> tells her about a way that she can see her dad again, that if they can find this map, if they can follow this map, they'll find this treasure that will allow her a sort of last reunion with her dad. And so basically her life becomes taken over with going to sleep, going back into dreams, and going on adventures with Flip in search of this treasure, essentially, along with her cuddly toy pig, which comes alive in dreams and is one of my favourite characters of the entire year on film. It is a very, very cute pig. And that's that's kind of it. It's it's a it's a it's a sort of caper. It's a very family-friendly, very child-friendly adventure story through some beautifully realized CG worlds that are extremely CG heavy. Like I don't know how many sets they built for this film, but I think it's in the low single figures, you know. It feels mm. like almost everything else is is a CG set, but they are inventive and beautiful. There's a hotel, you know, ballroom made almost entirely of flowers and butterflies. Um there's a city made almost entirely of glass. You know, there, there, there is glass. some genuine... Glass. There we go. There is some genuine kind of uh, fun in the designs. This is all directed by Francis Lawrence, of course. Uh, so he, he knows his way around a special effect or two. Um, so yeah, so I, I had fun with it. I, I do think it's not, you know, it's not going to remake the world or anything. It's not going to surprise anybody too much, but it is very likable. Um, if anything, I wanted Jason Momoa to be a bit bigger with his performance and a bit more over the top and a bit wilder.
2: This is kind of Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddie had a bigger sense of fun, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not finding Nemo as much as Nemo finding, but it, it's like, yeah, I, I quite I quite enjoyed it. It had, as you said, the lovely visuals of the dancing people made of butterflies was quite striking. There's a Lost esque smoke, smoke monster nightmare thing chasing her. Uh, you know, Dream Police and a kind of seventies black exploitation style. So it's got some interesting ideas. The cute pig you talk about was the stuff of fucking nightmares for me. It looks like a sinister <laughs> extra from Coraline. I don't know what you're you talking about. that's that's some scary Mm. ass shit but it's just it felt i know it felt like it was missing some magic some little dream dust something special to make it stand out because it felt to me it is a caper and i know it's you know we can say oh it's aimed at kids it's fine but i think sometimes kids deserve some slightly more sophisticated writing too like it felt just a little blander than it could have been both in terms of frankly the visual invention i wanted a bit more like what dreams may come type stuff like stuff that made you think wow this is this amazing palette they're painting because you've got dreams you can do anything you want and i just felt like oh really it's a city made of glass brilliant and I just I would have liked to have seen a little bit more invention and a little bit more fun. And as you say, I think the central performance from Amoa is enjoyable, but you wanted it to be bigger and slightly more outrageous. That yeah. said, I think the emotional beats in this work, and I think it does, yeah. and they stick the landing.
4: Yeah, and no, I think uh, I'm in agreement with both of you. I have really likeable, had a good time watching it. Uh, the emotional beats land, and that's the main thing. And they do that very, very well. I find it very interesting this, this week, the theme that runs through a lot of the films, if not all of the films we're talking about, is grief. Um, and this is another film that handles it, I think, very, very well.
1: Oh, what is grief if not love persevering? Very good.
0: Very nice. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So what do you guys give it? I'll give it three.
2: three? I'd give it three. I'd give it three.
0: three. Just. All right. Amon, uh, there's another film you wanted to talk about real quick.
4: Yes. Uh, so this is on Netflix. It's called Is That Black Enough For You? Which is a documentary directed by Elvis Mitchell. and basic- Oh, the Elvis Mitchell. Yes, Elvis Mitchell, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, has got a really nice podcast, which I listen to. Uh, and yeah, he's going into Black history, the representation of it. And he's got a lot of really cool people to help tell uh, this story. Whippy Goldberg, Samuel L. Jackson, Zendaya, Billy D. Williams, all of them pop up uh, with really great stories about what seeing certain films at a certain time meant for them. Um, and it's really, really good in terms of really getting into the history of black representation in movies and tv and giving you a detailed as possible <laughs> uh, uh journey through all of that um so yeah it's on netflix right now Highly recommend. Amazing. yeah
0: amazing yes that is it's out today as of today friday november 11th so yeah check it out sounds great is that black enough for you you sound like you'd be a four four star four stars that is correct I correct correct correctamundo is that black enough for you Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) uh, On that note, there's another guest. I forgot about the guest. Uh, And that is it for the review section of the show. And now we're going to take you out with um, two more guests. Shall we have two more guests? Because Something in the Dirt, the latest film from Benson and Moorhead, the purveyors of lo-fi trippiness, is still out. It opened last week. And uh, I spoke to Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, the directors, writer, Benson writes, Moorhead, DPs, stars, pretty much everything. Uh, on this movie, which was made in Benson's uh, own apartment during lockdown, and tells a tale of two people who come together to investigate supernatural phenomena in their apartment, and things go really weird and off the rails very, very quickly, and it's funny and clever and inventive, and all the good Benson and Moorhead stuff. The sort of stuff that has brought them to the attention of Kevin Feige, uh, who's recruited them as the lead directors, in fact, I think the only directors on Loki season two. So very, very exciting indeed. Uh, So I spoke to them in Benson's apartment. I was on Zoom. They were sitting next to each other in Benson's apartment and uh, had a good chat about their working relationship, where they met, friendship, the nature of friendship, and, of course, now and again, their new movie as well. Here we go. Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined to the Emperor Podcast by the I mean the everything of something in the dirt. The you know, the writer, directors, the stars, the cinematographer, the co-editors. Am I missing anything out? Aaron Moorehead and Justin Benson. What 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 have you done in this movie that you haven't been credited for?
7: Oh, oh, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. They give us a lot of credit for this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually can we shout out some people who often aren't credited, which is Dave Lawson, who is with us every day on set. And uh and it's on our, right? is on his t-shirt it's right now. I don't know if the you're MS. visually recording this. And then uh <laughs> and Ariel Vida and Katie Simon and Kim Barons, who are our art department remotely. And also we edit with a third editor named Michael Falker. And I'm I'm front loading this because it's rare to get shouted out um, with a movie where we we do wear many hats and uh want to make sure it happens. So and there's a lot more people involved, of course, just the onset, you know, the onset crew. So
0: of course. What about what about catering? on this how how did you who took care of that
7: that done done by john costco (laughs) yeah
5: john costco no (laughs) um uh catering was it was like it was like uber eats or grubhub but like for that month we bought that like the extra membership that you get like like a slight discount because you're buying it every day i don't know
7: (laughs) we were also we would also (laughs) give some catering to our neighbors because we're making so much noise so every time we would eat, they would also get a little free meal, whether they wanted it or not.
0: Amazing. And uh, just before I pressed record, uh, you you said to me, Aaron, that you're actually on set right now. Not shooting a sequel, but yeah. that's because this is the actual set of the movie, where you guys are right now.
5: Yeah, quite literally, right now we are in the, uh, the room that John and Levi are in when uh, Levi gives him his key to his place. And and also, uh, to my left is the window that Levi sits outside, uh, smoking cigarettes, lamenting his life.
0: <laughs> Amazing! Which is your actual apartment? <laughs> just in case people are wondering, it's your actual apartment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good.
7: <laughs> just... It's our actual apartment building. We actually live right above each other. That's it's it's real geography. Yeah.
0: Do you, Do you have uh, like a fire pole, like a uh, like in the Ghostbusters? firehouse so you can slide down
7: that's a very good idea though yeah and actually we're not directly above each other we're the one unit adjacent above so we need kind of a more of a zip line which sounds pretty more exciting frankly <laughs>
0: <laughs> make those morning meetings just give them that that extra bit of buzz but yeah yeah, yeah. i mean but i thought i thought this movie was terrific I, and the 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 final title card uh says this film is dedicated to making movies with your friends but I'm fascinated by this friendship. When did they, when did this begin? Now you're you're pretty much a decade now into this into this creative partnership. But I imagine the the, the beginnings of Benson and Moorhead extend back a few years beyond that.
5: Yeah, I mean it's over a decade now. 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2009. Uh, we were both interns at a commercial production company here in Los Angeles called uh, uh, Ridley Scott and Associates. It's, it's Ridley Scott's. It's the the part of his company that just exclusively does commercials and music videos. Yeah. And, um, uh, we never met Ridley Scott. Uh, we had no interaction with anyone of any, um, status in the movie industry, but we met each other and, uh, would sit in the lobby talking about Stephen King and Alan Moore and, and, um, and then started working together more and more doing uh, spec ad commercials because we thought becoming commercial directors would be a good way to break into being directors. Um, we quickly learned that at that time in 2009, that wasn't really a time where that was how you got your foot into the door as a director. It was more of a place you went to make a living as a director mm-hmm. um, when you were already established. <laughs> so, but, but through making these spec ad commercials, we realized that we worked together very well. Um, and then eventually just saved up money, basically like bartending to make our first movie resolution. But when we first met, uh, I was on like the year before medical school would start and Aaron had just gotten to Los Angeles from Florida state university. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was more of a career DP at the time or going that route. And, um, we both gave up on our dreams to become directors together. <laughs> so I didn't, I no longer became a doctor and Aaron, well, you know, you, you remained a cinematographer. Yeah. You've, I, beautiful, you've done beautiful. Sim-
7: I never mind. I was the guy I did it. I gave up. <laughs> well, I, 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 <laughs> just, I didn't want to be a DP. I wanted to be a director DP, but I had no idea how that existed. And so I was like, well, money will come from cinematography, I guess. And the, you know, there were always a few cinematographer directors that you keep keep in your pocket. And be Like maybe it'll be like that, but I never really believed you could actually make money directing unless you were a household name i, I was just like that's impossible <laughs> so yeah, there, yeah. there's it's, it's impossible when you when you're visualizing making one movie every two years rather than um, you know shooting every day five days a week
0: but so at what point for you um, did it really click at what point did you realize that you were compatible creatively
7: you know, you know what's funny is we we worked together a few times before. I think what, it was probably that fat cat ad. Oh, yeah. not Yeah, we we worked together a few times before. Even me, mm-hmm. like I was just shooting some stuff of his, and we were hanging out, and you know, we'd talk some some nonsense. But I think we did. By the way, there's it, this is still available online. I think it's called Crazy Skydive Accident. Yeah, and it's one of the funniest things we've ever done. It actually it was a comedy. It's a it's a four minute branded content film starring the two leads of our first film Resolution. And that was when we also found out they worked really well, Um, where one of them is taking the other uh, found footage style on a, uh, a birthday skydiving trip in exchange for a 12 pack of this now defunct Right, the right? I don't know. That okay, beer. actually, sorry, I don't sorry. know if the beer exists. Uh, a beer that just might or might not exist yeah. called Fat Cat Lager, a local San Diego beer. Okay, um, and I highly recommend anyone listening to go watch it if you like our movies because it is it is clearly a prototype for what we like to do, and it's 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 all the same personalities, like it's us and it's the Resolution guys who are in all of our movies. So
0: that's amazing. And what about something like uh, you know? Again, you've got so many hats on, on on this movie and your other movies. What about performances? Do you direct each other? Are you confident in how you uh, in how you 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 perform yourself to know? Okay, I nailed that, or is it something else?
5: We direct each other, but also um, the majority of our work on that stuff when we do our films is done in rehearsal. Yeah, um, the majority, like most of the big decisions. Um, Obviously, there's some jazz that always happens when you get to set, but a lot of the performances have been more are like 90 percent locked into place in uh, rehearsal in the six weeks prior to shooting. Um, And that is a lot of directing each other. And then in terms of trusting like, oh, are you you ready to move on? Did you feel good about it? Um, I think you always have to trust the person directing you which in our case is one or the other, let me direct you uh, on any set, because there's this lesson Aaron and I have learned about acting over and over. You learn it off from working with other performers. And it's this thing where um, you feel like you have it, you, you've seen the take, you feel, you love the performances, and, and it is human for them to feel like, well, I don't know if I really felt it. Let's just do one more. It almost ends up always being the take that you that you observed mm-hmm. was the good one, mm-hmm. as opposed to the one that was one more. Yeah. So you really have to trust each other and not yeah. not go to take 10 and waste the whole day when you had it on take four. Um, mm-hmm. It's always good to listen to that external mm-hmm. the observer rather than what necessarily you precisely felt in the moment when you were performing.
7: Yeah. And you know what? I, I can't think of a precise example of this, but I realized a freedom that we have. When we're in our own movies and they're our independent films, is we have final cut, mm-hmm. which means that if you, the performer, are like, I don't think I have it. I'm sorry, I think I have it. And mm-hmm. the director says, No, one more, or vice versa. Yeah. No matter what, we know that the that the best take is going to go in. Mm-hmm. So you might as well do one more for the other person. It, it doesn't for hurt. Sure. Um, for sure. For sure. But uh but you just have to listen. And, but it's just one more, you know. <laughs> but I realize you have that freedom because when you don't have Final Cut, you actually do need to protect not giving any kind of a bad take, because it might end up in there, yeah, Um, and then you live with that forever.
0: So this film, uh, there's so much to talk about. John and Levi are two really interesting, unique creations. Did this start for you with them, or did it start with the pandemic, and going slightly mad, and, and scratching at the walls, and not being able to create anything?
5: Well, it's interesting because the 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 pandemic definitely uh, it definitely determined the prac the practicalities of shooting and the production method and all of that, but it didn't really affect the creative in any way. So I guess yeah, I would say that the story does start much more with John and Levi than it does with the pandemic. Um, and John and Levi were essentially constructed out of um, Aaron and I brainstorming. First off, we had the general story, but we were brainstorming what characters would we want, want to play um, and who would be so interestingly flawed uh, and flawed in such a way that it amplifies their humanity. And then also um, that you would understand that, yes, they are highly flawed, but the reasons why they never ultimately become friends and their suspicions about each other are not ultimately um nefarious in any way it's mm. just a. It, it's ultimately just a tragedy of of um of a tragedy of two human beings ultimately and we wanted to make them as interesting and as different from our real selves as possible and as different from our real dynamic as possible um, because it's really scary to have something go out into the world and for people to maybe think that it was autobiographical um, yeah, <laughs> like, but it was, you know, especially we're,
7: in the endless, we were named with our own. Yeah, names. yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Like, so, were you in a cult, and it's like, oh, this is a movie. <laughs> it's,
5: like, <laughs> it's a really scary thing, but it can happen, and and I think that that that's part of the that drives the impulse to make both them as individuals and their dynamic as opposite to us as possible as who we are in our life.
7: And there's also this thing that's it's it's always gone on, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. Which is you know depiction. Equals, um, what is it? Uh, (laughs) what what is it? Uh, Endorsement, endorsement, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so this idea of these characters saying words that are coming out of our mouths that we wrote, uh, there there it would be logical um, to assume that we wrote these words and we believe them. Uh, and it's difficult because it's something And also, by the way, who knows what that is, it's a movie, of course, it's personally expressing certain things, but like 5% of it, things like, Oh yeah. LA is actually a lot better than everyone gives it credit for Yes. I think that's true. Yeah. You know, do I think the world should, uh, should end and we should all go along with it peacefully? No, I do not. <laughs> and, but that came out of my character's mouth. And um, and especially with independent films, where people believe that it's like, well, this was this was crafted just as a pure piece of personal expression. There's you get into the nuances of art where you're. It's like, yes, this is a personal expression, but it doesn't mean that the words are literally meant to be taken as the gospel of our own minds.
0: That's why I was thinking, watching the movie, you know, knowing the connection that you guys have, and this is about two guys who are. Passing each other, they're trying to connect, and they pass each other. Their ships in the night. They're they're passing on the on the freeway or motorway. If you if you live over here, you know and and that is clearly something that you sparked to creatively that that chance to 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 show these two guys in, in conflict.
5: Yeah, for sure. We we something we talked about a lot was that our first movie resolution was about our friendship. Our second movie, Spring, was about a romance, a uh, romantic love. Uh, our third movie was about siblings hmm. and and our fourth movie was kind of back to about friendship again and i think a lot of the conception of this project was our desire to we're like what if we told a story about two people who never became friends
7: yeah <laughs> who, who what's, are what's yeah. fun in indie film sense is that they can be friendly towards each other but yeah. they're not friends yeah. you know they're not i mean at least for some of the movie but um i i think that's that's really interesting that that we get to as indie filmmakers make nuanced scenes we're making a movie that's not about friends, but they are acting friendly, and you don't have to hit them over the nose really hard about what exactly that is, because you're exploring the nuances of a relationship like that.
0: So, you, so you had the story pretty much locked in before John and Levi came along. So, what was the what was the the, the big moment, the eureka moment for you when you sat down and, and said we, we want to do something like this? Was it about conspiracy theorists? Was the the end of the world's on everybody's mind always constantly, but especially these days? was it about that or was it did you want to tackle the people who go down rabbit holes and come out forever changed the
5: the conception was probably more this idea that we've been knocking around for 13 years of how we would or how what would be a more realis- realistic to us response to the supernatural if one were to actually observe it mm-hmm. and 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 if it happened how would we how would one capture that how would you exploit it? How would it affect you spiritually? How would it affect all those things? And it, we wanted to give this really human response to it that didn't rely on genre conventions. We didn't really talk about an idea of conspiracy theories. No, uh, It was more about sources, sources. And it was like, Oh, being inspired by the book house of leaves and, mm-hmm. and how, you know, if you could tell a story like that, that came with a bunch of yeah sources and references and, and, um, and then if we could treat Los Angeles sort of like how Alan Moore treats London and From Hell, how it's a total, total deconstruction of this city, going back as far back as you could go. In that book, I think he goes to like Roman times, essentially, or maybe even like the primordial dirt. Yeah. And I guess we do that There's a title, Something in the Dirt. We do that with here in Los Angeles, but it's such a young city, you don't have as much to draw from. So there was obviously a lot of innovation about the occult roots of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm.
7: There's there's uh, I'm going to tag on to some the, the thing you're saying about, you know, how we would respond to the supernatural, which is interesting <laughs> because it's a career thing where right after resolution, which, you know, if you want to really uh, boil it down to something, you could say it's a haunted, ca- haunted cabin movie. Um, but those who have seen it would be like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, and uh, because of that, we get sent every bad haunted house movie script franchise, whatever on the planet. And um, and we kept on pitching different versions of those because we were so unemployed. Uh, th- this idea that's like, oh, they made five indie films before they you know went and, and worked for another another company is uh, w- which is kind of true. Um, but it's also we were weirdly kind of unemployable because we would constantly we would we had this terrible habit where they asked us to take, give us the, our craziest pitch on a haunted house or something like it, and we would spend a week or two developing a really intricate pitch and then we go and give it and they'd say guys uh that was great um i'm gonna have nightmares for weeks but that is the weirdest thing i've ever heard and we can't possibly make this movie uh and so uh so it was like this gauntlet had been thrown down of like can we can we make a movie that's that's our weirdo version of a haunted house movie uh and that's that had been knocking around in our brains for a long time. And I think the the pandemic opportunity kind of and realizing that our apartments were particularly weird uh, in their banality, that we could uh, that we could actually make something out of it.
0: Well, guys, Justin Arneson, always a pleasure. And uh, thanks so much for your time.
7: Thank you. Oh, that was great.
0: Okay, so that was Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... I mean, again, it's you just, you know, throw a stone and you'll hit someone who's on next week's podcast. So I mm-hmm. said last week the Florence Pugh and Sebastian Lelio, the director of The Wonder, would be on the podcast. They will be on next week's podcast, and they will be joined by, hopefully... Will Ferrell and Octavia Spencer, stars of the brand new Christmas Carol retelling Spirited, which will be on Apple TV Plus next week. Until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Squad cast name, he won the battle for bald headed demon. It's Amon Mormon.
4: <laughs> bald headed demon. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do at least one embarking impression. I know, I know. <laughs>
0: it's good. I like it. I like it. Uh, he, he lost the battle for bald-headed demon, but he is nevertheless a bald-headed demon, just not with hat pins shoved into his face. It is cool, cool Khan. <laughs> James Dyer. Thank you very much. It is goodbye from our gig queen, Helen Razor, brackets, 2022. Guess which film she was referencing, closed brackets, obviously. Helen Rehar. Toodaloo. Toodaloo to Helen O'Hara, and it's goodbye for me, The Black Panther Strikes Again, because I kind of feel that they should have just you know gone with the naming template that was set in place with the Pink Panther movies and had, you know, Mm -hmm. Son of the Black Panther, what are the other ones? There are other ones. Look them up. Anyway, what am I, Google? Honestly, I I only have enough room in my head for the the names of films that Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg have made together. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. It is goodbye for me. I'm off to pitch every single movie we talked about in the listener questions section. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.